Hey guys, it's Ryan with Between the Liars back again with another crossover with our friend Ken from Taboo Topic. And I have been promoted to honorary co-host. Woo! Alright, there is so much here for you in this episode. First, a BBC reporter comments on the state of America because you can buy guns at Walmart, but confuses BB guns with rifles. Ken and I disagree on student loan forgiveness, food plants burned to the ground across the country, Marjorie Taylor Greene goes on trial, Elon Musk officially buys Twitter, Biden administration sets up a disinformation task force. All of that coming up. Don't go away. journalist and also it only occurred to me at 1 a.m. when I sat down to file my piece that the U.S. has U.S. style plugs. Hi from America where Walmart doesn't have a plug adapter for my U.K. laptop but on the other hand I can buy a rifle and ammunition. Dun dun dun! Look uh, number one uh, one first thing we did was reform the system that was in place that didn't work for anybody that allowed people to write off debt if they engaged in public service we have almost a million 785 don't hold me the exact number i'll get the number 700 and some thousand have had debt forgiven their whole debt forgiven because of their work working in either as teachers or other means by which they qualify and we continue to make that easier secondly i am considering dealing with some debt reduction. I am not considering $50,000 debt reduction, but I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to, there will be additional debt forgiveness, and uh, I'll have an answer on that in the next couple of weeks. Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, and I'm joined by my friend Ryan from Between the Lines, but this is not his first rodeo. Y'all should be aware of who he is but in case you don't know let ryan go ahead and introduce himself real quickly ryan welcome back to the show my friend hello thank you for having me it's great to be back so tell me how are things going with you um how how's the show <laughs> show's been doing great uh we picked up a new host so we've been having her on we had uh, two segments one where it was like the actual debate and then one which was just more of like an interview get to know her story her name's danielle and uh, found her on TikTok of all places. So good things do come from TikTok. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've we've been having a great time covering lots of stuff. I started uh, actually. I'm going to be honest, Ken. You you inspired me a little bit to start doing uh, different types of segments. So I've started a new segment where uh, Ryan just reads you legislation that is either in the process of being passed or has been signed into law to clear up some misconceptions, misinformation, disinformation. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, the quote unquote misnomered uh, don't say gay bill was the first one on that segment that I've titled Bill Me, uh, which is no opinions, no interjections, no debate. It is just me giving a concise summary of the bill and reading it. So we've now got that for our listeners as an option. Ah, so, so kind of like a miniature C-SPAN then. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's actually probably a pretty pretty fair comparison. But I was like, you know what? I feel like there's enough people who just understandably so don't enjoy reading legislation. And so then they are victimized by whatever news cycle wants to title the bill, whatever they want. 
So I've decided that I'm going to put that information out there for people to objectively be able to see what their legislators are doing so that they can then decide for themselves whether that's good or bad. I like that. I'm glad Thank to you. hear that I inspired you once more. Sorry, as far as you get TikTok. <laughs> you, you first inspired me to get an Instagram, which has actually done pretty well. And uh, then you inspired me to do some different segments. So, yep, Ken, you've been an inspiration to me. Oh, <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, you got me on TikTok and eventually... That's true. Well, eventually it got on Twitter, but that really was because of Elon Musk, which actually one of our stories has to do with uh, Elon Musk and That's the true. story surrounding that as well. <laughs> um, actually, we do have a good lineup for you today, ladies and gentlemen. We got a good... I mean, Ryan, you said before the show, like we're covering basically the First Amendment, Second Amendment, 14th yep. Amendment. Yep. So we're touching a little bit of everything today as far as constitutionality of certain... Uh, current events. Um, before I go any further, I do want to ask my audience members, I always ask this question. Uh, sometimes I forget and I don't remember to ask the question until later on the show, I've noticed lately, but I remember this time. So folks, let me know through the social media platforms. How was your week this week? Was it a good week, bad week, meh, uh, great, or catastrophe? Whatever it is, just let me know through the social media platforms. I know none of y'all actually do, but in case you ever do, you can reach out to me and I'll definitely respond because honestly i don't have that many instagram followers or many followers on any social media platform yet so um ryan how was your week this week my week's been good we're actually close ish finally to wrapping up my semester north dakota state has one of the longest semesters especially in the spring it's like 17 19 weeks long uh so i i i don't actually have finals week over with until saturday the 14th like that's when it's over and i've got to submit my students grades and all that but uh yeah i i pitched my dissertation idea to my advisor waiting on feedback there and then we'll send that to my committee so it's i'm I'm wrapping up my degree ish i mean i've still got a year to write my dissertation but uh (laughs) the the work for this semester is getting closer to being done so i'm excited about that and you're going for your phd or your doctorate yeah, same thing. Uh, PhD is actually philosophy doctorate. So um, oh, one okay. and the same. Yep, yep. Which, fun fact, some people say, well, you're not a real doctor. I might not be a medical doctor, but technically uh, the philosophy doctorates predate the medical doctorates. So the OG doctors are actually uh, me and my crew. <laughs> that is a fun fact. I did not know that. Now what? I know. So in, I guess in the future, I won't be calling you, <laughs> what, Dr. Ryan? Is that the pro- No, right. Doc, professor or Dr. Gook, Gook. Well, hopefully not Gook. <laughs> Gook. <laughs> I take Goki over Gook. <laughs> that sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, but I, I'm actually about to finish up the semester myself. Next week is finals week, and I'll really have one class to study for, and that's my macroeconomics class. Mm. Um, I survived the first semester of the leftist indoctrination at camp, I guess, <laughs> which um, – before we go any further, folks, I do want to remind you guys that um, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I've actually made this announcement yet, but Ryan, uh, along with, if y'all remember Nikki from Red Girl in a Blue World, we're going to do a three-way collab, or at least attempt to, later on in the month of May, and it's going to yep. come out in June, but we're going to do a collab and kind of do a Voter's Eye edition where we give you the bare bones as far as our experience in the higher education field. Is it as good or as bad as advertised? Um, a little bit foreshadowing, Ryan, but personally, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it just depends on where you try to get out of it. Um, I don't think it's as bad as advertised. Some conservatives make it out to be, but I definitely don't think it's as good as advertised the leftist or mainstream liberalism 
has uh, portrayed to be as well. So yeah, that's my, just foreshadow. <laughs> my foreshadowing would be, given that I'm continuing and my goal is to continue teaching at the academic sphere, I think there's merit. My gripe is actually more with the uselessness of degrees and how you're actually spending more than you will make over time. So my question is, is the degree worth it? And uh, I actually send people away from college, not so much from, as you were saying, the quote unquote indoctrination, but really uh, because you can do a lot without it. And like I, I challenge that perspective in society that you have to get um, a college degree. But if you get the right professor, which, you know, some people some people don't. But like for me, regardless of your personal beliefs, I invite you to agree to disagree with me and challenge me in the classroom. Not everyone does as uh, <laughs> your first semester back. Ken, you've experienced a little bit of that. <laughs> That is very true. Actually, I'm glad you brought up agree to disagree because one last quick announcement before we really, really get the show on. Um, Ryan, you actually did a collaboration with a Canadian recently. I did. A show called Agree to Disagree. So that's yep. your plug in right there for people to go ahead and tune into that show. But also, I am going to be collabing with him next Thursday. So Next Thursday, I'm going to be quite busy in a sense that I'm going to be pre-recording for my show, <laughs> but also I'll be pre-recording with someone else for his show, and I'm actually looking forward to it. So be sure to tune into that show, tune into the collaboration with Ryan in the Agree to Disagree podcast. Be sure to tune in next week when I do the collaboration as well. So uh, a lot of fun stuff going on, uh, a lot to wrap up the month of April, and to wrap up the month of April... I think this is the last Friday of the month of April, correct? Uh, yes, because Saturday is the 30th. So this is the last, uh, yeah, last, uh, dang. This will be the last Friday, Thursday of the month. So we're going to wrap up pretty, uh, should be an interesting wrap up, I think, for this month. We had some good stories, like I said a moment ago. <laughs> going to get Ryan unhinged again. <laughs> we're going to get Ryan unhinged again. And actually, folks, a little bit foreshadowing as well. We're going to, we may actually experience some disagreements on this show for once. I'm looking forward uh, to that, actually. <laughs> I am actually, too, just because for once we're not just uh, echoing each other's <laughs> sentiments. Exactly. Um, so th there's going to be some pushback between the both of us, but we'll see how this goes. But actually, because, Ryan, you've been on my show enough times at this point, you know how this goes. Uh, we get the synopsis, niche reaction, then you pass the torch and vice versa. So, Ryan, I'm actually going to go ahead and be a generous host and let you uh, take lead for your first story, if you don't Ooh, mind. Ooh, I am moving up in the world. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you become an honorary member of Taboo Topic. <laughs> I love it. I've been I've been adopted. That's that's exciting. <laughs> well, you said that for your show for me anyway. Like I was I was not an official member, but I was kind of like an honorary member between the liars. So. Exactly, exactly. It's I'm just like, returning the favor. It, it's kind of like when someone takes over your show. You know, like you 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 let like a different host come in and run it. You know, it's <laughs> just it, it crosses <laughs> over your audiences. Like truly crosses them over even more than just giving them a shout out or having them guest. So yes. So, yeah, Ryan. You're okay. the co-host for this one. Let's go. Which All right. So we're going to talk about the BBC journalist who is under the impression that uh, basically anybody can just buy a rifle over the counter at uh, at Walmart. And, and this big picture here, let's, let's zoom out. The amount of journalists or people who are in favor of gun control who know absolutely zero things about guns. Um, your CNN analysts who are talking about how the AR is fully automatic and fires 3,000 rounds per second without having to reload. I'm like, all right, like, do you even understand what you're talking about? 
Uh, now, now to this gentleman's credit, he BBC, he he is from the UK, uh, but he tweeted out, "Hi from America, where Walmart doesn't have a plug adapter for my UK laptop, but on the other hand, I can buy a rifle and ammunition." All right, so this was his tweet, and uh, <laughs> the picture is of a Daisy Red Rider BB gun uh, <laughs> behind a glass. Uh, a glass counter. So it's even locked <laughs> up. Like, it's not like it's just out there. But you've got the BBs and the pellets, and then you've got the Daisy Red Rider, and then uh, I, I think it's a, a Crossman brand is what I'm I'm seeing here. It's just chilling there on the shelves, but they're still behind glass. They're still locked. But obviously, his bigger point here is, you know, probably at least not so subtly hinting at American gun problems. Our priorities are messed up. You know, I, I'm I'm sorry to hear they didn't have the laptop adapter you needed. If you don't know this... Um, UK and Europe in general, depending on the country, doesn't have the same, uh, like outlets that we have Yes, like the three prong or the two prong. It's like a very, very different one. So if you go to UK or anywhere in Europe, confirm that I can yeah, definitely confirm that they have their own little outlets. <laughs> it's really weird. They're really, it's like a, it's like a one and a half inch spread between the two tongs that like you have to put into theirs. And it's like a, and I don't know. It, it looks like the if you think back to like the 1940s, like what a lamp plug in the U.S. would have looked like. It looks a lot more like those. Like it's like a more sl- futuristic, right? Or or regression to the past, depending on <laughs> what your perspective, right? But the bottom line here is, you know, he's he's critiquing the gun culture in America. Which number one, I'd always caution: if you're not a part of a culture and you don't understand it, you're probably sticking your neck out a little bit to try to comment. Doesn't mean you can't. It just means you know. Come, come, come be informed. And and the criticism I have here is he is not aware of the difference between a BB gun, pellet gun, and a rifle. And there's a huge, he, I mean, Ken, you've been in the military. How often <laughs> do they send you out there with a Red Rider BB gun? Ever. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> How often do they send out you to pra- even practice with, it? you know, like, I mean, it's, it, they're, they're fun. They're harmless. Like they're, right. it's going to hurt. You know, it, it's a great tool to train children in gun safety or to, um, you know, you don't have the same high powered uh, capacity. So it, it's it's a lot safer, especially if you live in a more rural area where, you know, you, you can maybe have a BB gun, but you can't have an actual rifle. You don't have the space. It's not safe, etc. It, it's a great little plinking tool. It's a lot cheaper considering all the prices of things, too, because you can get like 5,000 rounds for like. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've had to buy BBs, but probably like bucks, <laughs> 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Someone comment and correct me on the <laughs> the price of BBs if, if I'm off on that. I'm just, I'm estimating here. But but anyway, um, I wanted to take this opportunity and I'll, I'll pass it to you to get your perspectives on this, Ken. I think that people, I think his name is produced Padraig Belton um, and I, I very well could be um, mispronouncing his name. And if so, I apologize. We'll call him Mr. Belton. How about that? Uh, Mr. Belton here seems to be commenting on not only the gun culture and what a lot of people say Americans are obsessed with their guns, you know, they're, they're gun nuts, but, but also, I mean, this, this often gets taken and run with, with the media saying that, uh, this is an opportunity for gun control. We've seen this with Joe Biden talking about banning the quote unquote ghost guns, which if you don't know, is basically one where the government doesn't have a serial number and they don't really track all the parts. I think they would even classify like the assemble your own guns. Like if you buy parts and customize and build as a ghost gun, because the government can't track it. And the criticism that is often levied by people who don't understand is this is what contributes to the mass shootings. Uh, so Ken, I have my thoughts, but I want to hear yours. So I think it's very interesting how every time we always, a whether it's a, an American trying to give their opinion about a different country's culture or vice versa, 
we tend to make ourselves a fool because obviously we don't live in that country and we don't understand fully like that culture in particular. So this is just another instance of a foreigner, nonetheless, uh, telling us how we ought to be living our lives and, you know, what's righteous more or less. So that's the first thought I had when I, as I was listening to your story. And actually, quick story uh, to kind of go to, to kind of focus on the BB guns. There's two stories I want to go ahead and share. As I'm actually, as I'm looking up the price of BB guns, by the way, a lot of these BB guns are very realistic. They look like an actual gun. So I can understand to an extent why someone may be confused. At the same time, though, at the same time, though, um, if you're actually purchasing something, it will tell you what kind of gun you're getting. It will tell you, like, this is not a real gun, more or less. So I kind of am wondering, how did he miss that? If he actually got confused between a real gun and a BB gun, did he just overlook that fact? Or did he deliberately mislead people into thinking this is about this was a BB gun and expecting people to be dumb enough to not actually pick up on it, that it was a BB gun? Um, so that's one of the first thoughts I had. Um, but real quickly, to kind of go back to the story a little bit, um, you're right. BB guns are not deadly. I mean, they can be painful, and there's <laughs> you can shoot an eye out for sure. Yeah. But it's not. It's <laughs> you're not gonna die from it. Um, even if you have like, even if you like stick the BB gun like right next to someone and you shoot at it, it's not gonna penetrate through the skin. So, and I could confirm that because I was a dumb. Uh, kid once upon a time and my friends and I decided <laughs> to do an experiment and we put it right next to our skin like our buttocks and everything like that and yeah it was painful but then it go through our skin so <laughs> there's that but um to kind of go back to the aspect that I can understand why someone may be confused anyway as far as if maybe you're looking at from a looking from a distance um like I said a moment ago as I'm like looking these BB guns right now, they look very realistic. And you and unless you actually read the fine print, you wouldn't pick up right away, like, oh, this is a BB gun. And I could tell you that because I remember when I was in, reverting back to my military experience. So we had to carry, if we were at a gate, we did security. So for my job, I either did security or law enforcement. If I was doing security, I just brought my M9 with me. If I did law enforcement and I was on a patrol car. I didn't brought my M9 with me and I had my M4 with me as well. And so there was a time, and I think I was actually doing security at the time, but there was a call that one of my uh, leaders, if you will, my boss had to respond to because neighbors, uh, it was, a, it was during the nighttime and our neighbors anyway, on base, they're hearing some pop, which, Unless you know what an actual gun sounds like when the round goes off, you're not going to know the difference. You're gonna, there's going to be a pop as well when it comes to BB guns as well. But like I said a moment ago, unless you actually have heard a real gun fire off, you're not going to know the difference. So understandably so, the neighbors were freaked out by it, and they called us, and we had to respond to it. And this is one of the scenarios where our leader, our boss, whatever, I mean – when it comes to situations like that, we were thinking this is this is an active shooter potentially, right? And so we got ready, and uh, you know, our boss got out of his vehicle, brought his M9, had his M9 M4 pointing, challenging the driver in the vehicle, and everything like that. And the driver was a dumb, was just a dumb teenager more or less, but he was shooting off rounds, but you couldn't tell right away 
that it was a BB gun. It wasn't until like he dropped the BB gun and we picked up the BB gun afterwards. It was like, oh, this is not even a real gun. But um, it goes to show you that today's weapons, or as far as uh, the newer models anyway, they're becoming harder and harder to tell whether or not they're real gun, at least from afar. You have to read the fine print. And so to an extent, I am a little concerned as far as the direction, as far the direction, the making of these BB guns, because like I said, as I'm looking at the website right now, this is like pyramid air, air guns, crossbows. Um, I mean, these guns look very real to me. And by the way, just so you know, Ryan, uh, the cheapest one I see right now is a Daisy adult red rider from Christmas story, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. So, Oh yeah. I was talking about the BB ammunition. Just, just to clarify. Uh, like if you buy like 500 BBs, like what does that cost? 500 BBs. Oh, in that like cylindrical, like with the little spout at the top. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. so it says, so I see one here that says Smith and Winston M M and P kit. So this comes with the BBs, actual BBs. And that altogether is 49.95. So I would assume it's not that much. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cheap and they're, they're, you know, they can be fun. And like, yeah, if you could just Google, <laughs> Google Belton. I mean, he got absolutely roasted and raked across the coals as he should be uh, because the picture that he put up, it's uh, you, you've got the Red Rider carbine. You've got uh, the the Daisy pump action, uh, which has got like the very plastic cheap looking scope on the top. And then you've got the third gun in there uh, is the Crossman. And uh, I mean, you're right. They they don't have the orange tip. They're not airsoft. Um, I just, I really think if you're going to speak on a subject, you should be educated. You don't even have to have True. personal experience with it. But like, if you're going to come in and essentially use your platform as an opportunity to comment on how screwed up American values are, like to me, that's the subtext here, right? Is I go to Walmart, I don't get the necessity I need to do my work, but I could come into mass shooting. Is like, I, to me, that's kind of what the subtext here is. Uh, no wonder America, you know, has so many shooting problems. Maybe it didn't mean it well, that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of – I want to go ahead really quickly interject here if you don't mind. But oh, I yeah, want to sure. I want to go ahead and actually – I want to actually explore that thought as far as um, the – someone actually from Britain, right? So someone from Britain criticizes America's values as far as guns. I want to go ahead and – make note real quick the people who will actually listen to what a foreigner will have to say is probably someone who's probably more leans more liberal versus a conservative they're gonna we're gonna look at that look at that guy and laugh and say you're not, you don't even live here like why do you care just want to go ahead and quickly point that out so i think that's another point that i think is uh uh worth mentioning which can i i think that you know there, there could be some truth to that and i think Anytime there is a shooting, it's tragic. Like undeniably, it is tragic. But the the opportunity that the current Democrats are using, especially the Biden administration, to to try to pass more aggressive gun control that does not target the issues they say are at hand. Right. So for example, we just had a mass shooting in California just a couple of weeks ago. And there were several, or excuse me, my bad, New York. Uh, it was on the subway. And the person who had the weapon 
was not supposed to have the weapon to begin with, right? Like they did not achieve it by the backgrounds that are required for anyone to purchase a firearm. Um, he was flagged, and if I'm not mistaken, he had felonies to the point that he was not allowed to legally own, buy, or carry a weapon of any kind. So, like my my big point here is that when we look at American culture, Second Amendment is so important to us. The right to keep and bear arms is so important. It's enshrined in the Bill of Rights. And outside of you committing certain social contract violations, you get to keep that right. Unless, you know, you, you commit a, a felony, you, you lose that right. But by and large, your right is not supposed to be infringed. And yet we see Biden going after quote unquote ghost guns, which basically means it's weapons that, you know, people are assembling themselves. Um, and they they make this case that it is very often they they either assume that it's the law-abiding citizens that are going to cause the problems here, or they target legislation that is going supposedly to prevent people like this deranged murderer. It's going to prevent them from getting those weapons, and it doesn't because he wouldn't have passed a background check. He wasn't supposed to carry the weapon. He was prohibited, and yet the people in New York weren't allowed to defend themselves because New York is one of the strictest gun laws, particularly in New York City. I would actually go as far as to say, and I've mentioned this on the show, this is actually the second time that I think that I've actually touched on the Second Amendment on the show. Um, the last time I was with someone else, but I'm actually one of those people that believes we need less gun control in America. I think America has like this purgatory relationship with gun, with guns and the Second Amendment, um, and it's just not working right now. And so I forget what country... There's another country out there that actually embraces guns and they actually teach guns to children at a very starting from a very young age in the school curriculum. And as a result of it, they actually have less homicides, less mass shootings as a result of it. And then you have countries who completely take guns out and they have less mass shootings. But you can have a situation like the UK. They don't have necessarily a mass shooting problem, but they have a mass stabbing problem. That's a real thing, too. So stabbing punching like the the crime is going to happen and in fact you're still going to see I, I mean even look at it this way chicago has one of the strictest gun controls chicago california state of new york i believe even new jersey um those are some of the states that have not only the highest gun control they have some of the highest uh not just crime rates but violent crime rates committed with with weapons um and the argument that's made get this the reason Chicago has the gun problem is because they're getting them all from Indiana is, is the argument that's made. So it's not that the, that the fail, it's not the failure of the gun control to address the problem. It's that the, 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 the loose laws across the border in the state of Indiana are what's causing that problem. Well, I think it's just a matter of you either complete, you either, embrace the second amendment or you completely reject it which if you ask someone like myself and probably yourself as well we ought to be embracing the second amendment instead of having this weird purgatory state i will say though that i think i can get behind some legislation in regards to at least making bb guns less realistic and make it look more like a baby <laughs> bb gun I think that's right now because I'm just say, I'm just saying that as someone who's staring at the screen right now in front of me, and I'm just like blown away how much the BB gun models have changed since I 
last held one. I was like 10, 11 years old, I think, at the time. And it was like a clear, it was like the barrel was clear. Everything was clear. You could see the BB guns inside the barrel as well. So um, I would say, if anything, I can get behind some legislation that's as far as like, hey, let's not make this too, let's not make this that realistic. Let's actually <laughs> make, the, make it easier for, especially for policemen in particular, when they're at a, you know, when the adrenaline's kicked in and then that situation where they are challenging someone, if they can't tell if that's a real gun or not, you just increased your chance of getting shot at nonetheless. And when you risk your chance of getting shot at, there's a chance you're going to get a serious injury or you're going to die from it. So this can actually uh, help people in the long run as far as making these BB guns less, um, less realistic. So I am not... I'm not going to come down too hard on this guy, especially given that I'm not necessarily the biggest uh, gun person, despite my background. Uh, Ryan, do you <laughs> shoot a lot? You know, I shot competitively for 14 years, so I am. Did I would never guess? <laughs> I know, uh, state champion, national champion. Um, I shot uh, competitively, skeet, trap, and sporting clays, and I've. I mean, I've, uh, rifles of all calibers, as well as handguns, pistols. Uh, no, I've done quite a bit with that. So I, for someone I, uh, like you, then like you, you can laugh at them. You can come down on someone like him and be like, "Wow, you're an idiot." Right. Well, Versus, and, and, <laughs> go ahead. And, well, I was gonna say, even set aside my experience, I, I am very much. I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I feel like my perspectives on gun control, I would probably be labeled as a Second Amendment absolutist, um, in the same way that I am a, a First Amendment free speech absolutist. So I think that there are certain parameters, obviously, of people who should not possess weapons, i.e. violent felons. Um, but I would heavily criticize even legislation that takes away the right to keep and bear arms from felons who are not committing a violent felony. So, for example, if you if you even just steal enough money, it becomes a felony. And like, where does that tie into, you know, your right to defend yourself? If someone uses a weapon, assaults another person, harms another person, felony to me, pretty hard stop right there. Um, I think there's people who they're not mentally well enough to possess one. Um, and I think that that gets a little bit gray. Um, but to me, if I, I've just pulled up the, the exact wording of the second amendment. And I think most people think of the second amendment as you have the right to keep and bear arms, which is true, but I'm going to, I'm going to differentiate between positive and negative rights. Do you, do you know, are you familiar with the difference there? Positive and negative rights? No. Yes. Okay. So here, listen to the wording of the Second Amendment, and I'll explain what I mean between the difference of positive and negative rights. So the Second Amendment says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pretty common. Most people are familiar with that. Here's the difference between positive and negative rights. Positive rights are those rights that you are essentially given um, and oftentimes they are given to you by taking away from someone else. So for example, if we say you have a right to healthcare, that healthcare requires the labor of other people. So in theory, you know, like a doctor might be compelled in that instance to provide you with that right. So that's a positive right. It is something that is given to you. A negative right, on the other hand, is something where you absolutely have this right as like a God-given liberty, right? So think the inalienable rights that are mentioned, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Okay. They are rights that are yours, and the, 
the legislation or the laws or like the, the, the direction of the language actually prevents the encroachment from someone else like a government body onto your right. And that is what the second amendment is. It basically says full stop. You have the right to keep and, and bear arms. You not only get to keep it in your home, you get to carry it with you. You get to use it for lawful self-defense. Obviously there's parameters and laws there, but you can't have like say the state of New York that says, yeah, you can keep it locked with, you know, 1200 locks and uh, you can never bring it out. You can't even carry it to the gun range to use it. You just get to keep it. Right. So it's, it's saying that that infringement, the right of the people to keep them around shall not be infringed is basically a negative right directing itself at the government that says under no circumstances, can you pass legislation that encroaches on free people who are law abiding citizens, their right to keep and bear arms. Does that make sense on the difference between the two? Yes. And I would imagine that kind of goes within, well, if you have a armed population, you don't have to necessarily worry about government tyranny. As well, exactly. Dave, as Dave Chappelle puts it, the Second Amendment is there in case the First Amendment doesn't work out. Yes, because – and this – I think a lot of people either unconsciously or mistakenly believe that your rights come from the government. And if you look at the intent, the framers' intent – of the founding fathers and the way that they wrote the documents, the specific and intentional language that they used, it was designed to say, no, 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 these inalienable rights are given to all people by God the moment they are born, right? Like those, those rights are yours, right to peacefully assemble um, and, and things like that. That's why they don't have the positive rights, like things like healthcare and things like that. They are free speech, right to defend yourself, the right to, you know, exist, and protect what is yours, your life, your family, your property, your loved ones. That is that is all yours, and your right to do that is enshrined. Predating government and going beyond government. Like they were basically saying it doesn't matter who's in charge. You you don't get to have those rights stripped away. And then of course other amendments come in and they talk about times where your rights can be suspended. Like I I, I don't get to be in my house when I've committed a felony and I'm dragged away to jail. <laughs> Right, like, <laughs> right. Like the, but even when that happens, when I'm in violation of the social contract, I still have the right to an attorney, right? I still have things that, you know, I, I can't have unlawful search and seizure. There's due process. So when I say that I'm probably classified as a Second Amendment absolutist, it's not because I'm saying that everyone full stop should always have weapons under every circumstance. I am not opposed to a very limited amount, and, and if we had more time, I'd get into it. So let's do another episode another time, and I can go into what I believe those are. <laughs> it's too much of a rabbit hole. Ryan is not saying that this is not the case. What I'm saying is that I do not believe that the government gets to ban ghost guns under the Constitution and do so constitutionally or legally. I don't think that they get to decide this weapon is fine, this weapon is not under the Constitution. Uh, because the Constitution language is absolute, and in my opinion, to follow the due process and necessary enumeration of powers, the only way Congress can pass that is if they rewrite the Constitution. And if not, then I believe it is the Supreme Court's job to uphold these people's rights, to keep whatever the hell firearm they want to, as long as they're legally allowed to do so. So let me tie this back to the tweet. This tweet vocalizes a lot of the sentiment of sitting Democrats and those who fall more to the left in their ideology, although you go far enough left, you get your guns back. That's an interesting fact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not joking. Uh, Chris from the Alt-Left Podcast, he agrees with me on Second Amendment rights because he believes that it's to keep your government in check, although 
for different reasons is kind of <laughs> what, <laughs> right. where, where totally we different purpose. Yeah, it is. But like he actually made the statement and I was like, that's actually really fascinating. You go far enough left, you get your guns back because you need to defend yourself from the government or, you know, in their case, the bourgeoisie. But uh, the point here is that when you have a tweet like this that that vocalizes the sentiment of people, I really think that it falls to a fundamental misunderstanding of the concept of the Constitution and the rights that we are given. And this is going to translate beautifully into our First Amendment when we get there in our next segment. But if you are a person who reads that tweet and is like, yeah, that makes sense. We have a problem. I'm not saying we can't have a discussion about what that legislation could and should look like. I'm saying that currently I am very, very worried and unimpressed with the way our government decides here's a, an end goal that I can justify so I can step on your constitutional rights. The more you let the government do that, the more comfortable they become with that, the less likely they are to listen to us and the more likely you are going to have to exercise that Second Amendment right. So I really think that this sentiment, to me, as trivial as it might be, to me, it really speaks to an undertone, I think, of of people who either fundamentally misunderstand American culture or they fundamentally, fundamentally potentially misunderstand the premise of the Second Amendment, that your right to keep and bear arms in this instance, even if they're available at Walmart, because spoiler alert, in Tennessee, at least, I don't know about other states, Tennessee, where I grew up, there was always ammunition, uh, rifles, shotguns. There was not ARs, so you didn't have high-power semi-auto rifles, <laughs> and you did not have handguns. But you had shotguns and like deer hunting type rifles, bolt actions, 30-30 carbine and lever actions. Those were for sale, locked up, you know, ID and all of that, but they were available there. American culture. To me, like I, I was just raised around that. And so it's it's normal. Maybe that's not normal for most people. I don't but the area where I grew up, absolutely normal for those thousands of people. <laughs> It's definitely not normal for someone like a British person coming to America. I've heard stories how foreigners who grew up in a country where they don't have that gun culture like we do here in America, and they're either impressed or they're shocked in a bad way, like the amount of <laughs> guns they see it everywhere, which, I mean, I pretty much grew up in the South, so I kind of grew up around the same culture as you did, though I didn't really. Ironically enough, my in my household anyway, I was told to stay away from guns, despite the fact that my house and my family leans to the right. Um, I didn't really become, I think I've always had more like a uh, agnostic sentiment towards Second Amendment until sure. like the last couple of years. Um, really, when the government started to increase with these lockdowns and start to ignore people's rights. <laughs> and I was, and being the military as well, they kind of like made me realize and appreciate the value of having that firearm not only to protect yourself, but also understand that, as Dave Chappelle puts it, in case the First Amendment doesn't work out, we have the Second Amendment as a backup to go ahead and use that to defend ourselves. So I've, I'll go ahead and say on my show, because it's my show, damn it, but I'm okay with like someone <laughs> having a 249, 240 machine gun. Let them have it. I don't care. Um, if it makes the government scared of us, then that's a good thing. I want the government to be scared of us. Shouldn't be the other way around. Thomas Jefferson once said that uh, when the government, uh, when the people fear the government, there's tyranny. But when the government fears the people, there's liberty. Um, and I think that's such a powerful statement. And I think it's something, and I'm glad you made me, you brought up the whole positive versus negative rights. So pretty much it sounds like a positive right is basically any welfare program you could think of. Yep. And then pretty much in the Bill of Rights, is those negative rights, correct? 
I, I would say pretty, yeah, pretty blankly. I, I would say unless unless we come across an exception, then I'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, exception. But off the top of my head, my understanding is that that would be correct because, like, free speech, right? Like, you're not you're not compelling anyone to do anything, and I'm not compelling people to listen to me, so they can just leave. But also, I inherently have the right to criticize my government, to criticize other people, and I think we'll get into that a little bit more. I, I did have a little bit different. Um, childhood growing up, uh, basically what I was told was, uh, when, when my dad was supervising me, I was allowed to, you know, be taught the sa- how to safely handle the firearms. Other than that, I was supposed to stay the hell away. You know, like it, it was, it was to me, my dad took the approach of as long as I am supervising you and we are in, you know, the controlled areas, we, we lived on a farm, you know, 30 acres, no one's going to get, you know, <laughs> you're, you're not in danger of, of shooting your neighbor. You know, I was, I was taught, um, how to handle them correctly. I took hunter safety when I was like 11 years old. You don't um, have a Southern accent or redneck accent. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I go back and I spend enough time around those people, it kind of comes back out. But uh, yeah, I spent enough time in the Midwest that it's kind of neutralized. But yeah, it was it was very, very different for me. Um, and really, my personal belief, I think that it is the this like shrouded mystery that often leads to children Um desiring to like handle the firearms like they you know and and it's combined with someone's carelessness they left it out didn't matter if someone left the weapon out because i knew what it was and i was instructed you go find an adult if you ever come across one, which i never did but like it was very clear this is what this is and so i was never going to be curious and be like "Ooh, i finally get a chance to touch this like no like i i knew exactly what it was and i knew the parameters and within certain safe parameters, I was allowed to operate them, you know, I mean, for me, for the last 14 years. So so would you say then that federal student loans is a positive right? <laughs> uh, that's actually a pretty good segue there. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Well, you said student loans, and I was like, well, that is a non sequitur, but then uh, positive. Uh, yep. Uh, so, uh, mm, okay, let me ask a clarifying question first before I answer that. Are you saying like student loans isn't like I can take them out or are we talking about forgiveness, which we're going to be getting into? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could answer that question just a second because that kind of does get into my story. Um, As I kind of alluded to earlier, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ryan and I, we could have our first fundamental difference. (laughs) So let's get into it. So because I'm only bringing this up because Joe Biden, and I'm seeing this on Twitter, a lot of conservatives are kind of upheaval about this. Uh, Biden talked about student loans this week. Uh, So this is from Business Insider, or Business Insider got this from CBS News, that Tuesday in a 90-minute Monday meeting with some members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, uh, the Biden administration, uh, the Biden, excuse me, I can't read all of a sudden. All right. Yeah. So Biden said that he asked his aides to explore options of broad forgiveness for federal student loans. A lawmaker in attendance reportedly told the outlet Uh, they're looking at different options on what they can do on forgiving it entirely. That was our request. One of the lawmakers said who requested to remain anonymous. CBS later updated its story to clarify that Biden did not say anything about forgiving all student debt but is open to going beyond his $10,000 loan forgiveness campaign pledge. The Washington Post later confirmed that reporting. Uh, Representative Tony Cardenas, Cardenas uh, one of the meeting attendees, told the Post Biden was incredibly positive about the idea of canceling at least $10,000 in student debt 
and Representative Darren Soto, I can't speak English today, Ryan, um, another attendee, added that canceling student debt is something Biden would like to carry out sooner rather than later, but he wants to be sure doing so will not add to any inflammatory or inflationary pressures. Uh, with Biden himself having been fairly quiet on what actions he will take on student debt, this could mark a significant step toward broad relief. Earlier this month, Biden extended the pause on student loan payments with waived interest through August 31st. He also announced a plan to return over 7 million borrowers in default to good standing. Since then, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki noted Biden will make a decision on canceling student debt for the pause before the pause expires, or he will extend the pause again, while Biden's latest comments are indicating progress toward that decision. While Biden plans on the campaign trail to approve $10,000 in student loan forgiveness, Braxton Brewington, press secretary for the Debt Collective, the nation's first de debtors union, told Insider that progressive answer to this is to cancel all student debt. I think this would be really tough to go back on this, Burrington said. The likelihood of cancellation has only improved with every pause extension. All of the stars are aligning to make this a real thing that's on the table. And it goes on, and so you get, you get the idea of what's going on. And actually, update, uh, it seems like Biden is now working towards forgiving up to $50,000 in student loan debt. So, my initial reaction on this is... First and foremost, this is politically motivated. Uh, the Democrats has this strategy called goody politics, where they justify their increase of social welfare programs by giving people services from taxpayer dollars. And anyone who speaks out against it, they will point to that person and say, see, they're the bad guys. They're trying to take away your goody away. They're the ones that are trying to take your uh, candy away, basically, right? So that's like the first thought I had. Um, the federal student loan program is no exception. What person, what person who has thousands of dollars of debt they took on for school to be, who's going to be against having their loans canceled, nonetheless wipe out at least $50,000 out? And I agree with the sentiment with conservatives that once you sign up for these loans, it is a binding contract and it is the individual's responsibility to pay it back, which I'll even go as far as to say it is insulting for those who put in the work to pay all that back. It is insulting to them if those loans were to were to be forgiven. Uh, there are programs available to have your loans forgiven, like the, in the state of Florida. I'm not sure what it's like in the state of North Dakota, but in the state of Florida, if you work for the state for at least 10 years, you can have your loans completely forgiven. All that said, this is where I break from conservatives. To me, this isn't as black and white as both the liberal and conservatives try to make this out to be. Uh, there are many scenarios where the students or the student takes out a loan, then it'll be 20 years since they took out that loan, but they're still paying that off, despite the fact they paid more into the system than the original takeout. Conservatives often forget there's a difference between the principal versus the interest rate, and that's where they get you. And let's be honest, the federal student loan program is a scam. To me, it's like if you want students, nonetheless students who are fresh out of high school, brand new to the world, to play by the rules, how can you expect them to play by the rules when the rules are bent to hurt the consumer? I understand the sentiment they signed and should have read at least the contract, but society has pressured these kids to get to a four-year university, get useless degree even in, some, in a lot of cases, 
It hasn't been until recently the attendance of the and applications have dropped for these four-year universities. However, we still live in a culture that pressures minors to get a four-year degree no matter the cost. And then we get mad at them for doing what everyone else pressured them to do. Nah, I think there could be a compromise to at least forgive those who paid more into the system. And even as far as giving a reimbursement for every cent they spent over the original takeout. I understand there's a company with the federal government uh, that they use, so that complicates things. But this is one of those areas where I probably lean more to the left on a moderate level. Uh, I would even venture to say, like, I'm not, I will say that I'm not entirely sure about the constitutionality of all of this either. And I understand the concerns in regards to inflation and how that will skyrocket inflation on top of that. But I do think there's got to be a way where we can have like a middle of the road solution to this. Like, I don't think this is a black and white issue, as I just mentioned earlier. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Okay, so let's let's start by going back to your original question. This would absolutely be a positive right because you are not guaranteed the right to go to college, right? Would would you agree to that? Like, it's it's it, it's something that benefits you, but it's not the same. It's not on the same level. That's why it's not included in the Bill of Rights. I agree with that. And so then on top of that, we see that you actually have to take something away from other people, i.e. through taxes, which is just a legal form of theft, in my opinion. Uh, because <laughs> when, when the that government says – That sounds more says, right-wing than moderate, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's it's definitely libertarian as well. Um, the the Wisconsin uh, taxation – is theft uh screw the whole without representation taxation especially when number <laughs> one the government mismanages our money gives it away to um, other nations right like i'm not saying that ukraine didn't need help but i am saying that when you throw together a conglomerate bill that includes something like a 34 percent raise for yourself as a member of congress that's where my money went to um, it and and it makes it so that you know you are required by law to support whatever the government wants you to. So that is a bit of a side tangent there. But uh, the bottom line <laughs> here is that the government will need to handle this through a raise in taxes, and they're they've they've already raised our taxes. They're talking about raising them again. There is legislation to do so, and I guarantee you that if they go down the road of forgiving student loans. I, I just do not see why they do that without raising taxes again. I'm opposed to that. So it, it's a positive right. That's that's my first answer. My second <laughs> answer, um, let, let's let's back up. Let's start with where we can agree. I can agree with you that loans are predatory. Um, uh, private loans are actually no better. And in many cases, they're actually worse. Uh, my fiance took out uh, lo private loans through Discover uh, for her undergrad. And their interest rates were like 8 9%. Yikes. And federal loans uh, under the Trump administration when they got cut down for relief were like one and a half, two percent just to give you. And like maybe like four to six percent is probably going to be considered like a generally pretty good interest rate, uh, depending on what you're talking about. Let's say especially for like a mortgage, something like that. Eight percent is highway robbery. And the, you, you are correct, Ken, and I agree with you that. This is a problem when they are taking advantage of high schoolers with no financial literacy in most instances, and they are preying upon individuals who, number one, don't have the finances, therefore they need the loans, and or, number two, they have no understanding of the difference between the principal and the interest. If you don't know, Ken, you did touch on this, and this was a great point, and where I can agree with you, 
the principal is the main balance. So if I take out a $50,000 loan, my principal is $50,000 and I'm trying to pay that down. The problem is that if I have an $800 a month balance, probably like seven to 750 of that amount is probably going to be interest rates. And so if I pay the bare minimum of that loan every single month, it's all going towards the interest which means I'm barely paying down my amount, which means it's spread out over years and years and years. And I probably pay like $100,000, $150,000, depending on your rates um, and interest rates over the course of my lifetime to pay this down. Now, the benefit is what? I didn't have the cash to front and I didn't get thrown in prison for not paying my debts, but I pay way more over time. And this is where you see a class privilege of people who can afford to pay these things off faster, or they make smarter decisions, they pay less over time. It's going to hurt in the front end, not as much in the back end. Uh, is that a pretty fair description, Ken? Is there anything you want to add to that? That's a fair description. Okay. And and that's why I can agree with you these are problematic. Here is where maybe we don't disagree, but this is the criticism I'm going to level. The reason predatory highway robbery rates are out is because federal government, specifically under Obama, guaranteed the loans which meant that if the students defaulted on them, regardless of what the cost was, the government basically said that they were going to say we're good for the money, which means that then these people were incentivized because they're a profit-making industry to jack up the rates to do so. So if you want to point a finger, point it at the federal government. That, that's my opinion there, is the reason that this has gotten even more out of control than it already was is in large part, maybe not exclusively, but in large part because the government backed those loans. So you could default on a loan and the government will just give you a pass. Is that, did I hear that correctly? At one time that was, that was the way that it was. I would have to look into what it actually was. If my memory serves me under the Obama administration, that became like a bigger thing. And so from like 2008 to 2016, somewhere in that time, if I'm fact check me, if I'm wrong, let me know. But my memory is saying that that's basically the way that that went. Um, I'm not saying it was exclusively Obama's fault. I'm saying under the Obama administration, whether it was the Federal Reserve, which is appointed by the president, so it goes back to him through his choices, um, or or basically the way the 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 powers that be during 2008 2016, that was what they guaranteed. That that is my my remembrance of that situation. Interesting. Well, that is an interesting point. So, why don't you say though, like, so do you agree at least that there is a middle of the road solution to this situation? I say the, well, I'm going to say no to the middle road. I'm going to say that, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can, it's like, how do you do that? And both people feel like they got to win because it's, uh, well, first of all, let me back up. You know that it's a good policy that is loved by the people and by, you know, and, and you're so backing of it when you go on the record as anonymous. <laughs> Like your source there <laughs> was anonymous. And granted, it's not to say good things can't come from anonymous people. We get leaks through that way at times that can be beneficial in theory. But I'm just saying two factors are going into this. Number one, Biden, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact wording, but you basically read his words where he says something to the. We don't want to make the situation worse. It's like, well, no crap. You're already, you have the biggest <laughs> stagflation going on right now because of your policies. Of course, you don't want to do something that makes that worse so that you bear the consequences, which leads me to point number two. What are we coming up on, Ken, in November? Refresh Election. my memory. Oh, <laughs> crazy. Right. So this is, if nothing else, the fact that Biden hasn't done this before midterms shows you exactly where his and his party's priorities are. 
by all measurable data, by every single poll that is out there, including ones that are often to the left. Like when CNN comes out and warns about effectively a red wave coming, you know that it's bad, that they would come out and project that and start warning the politicians about their policies. Other than that, no Democrat has really, especially not Biden, when he campaigned on this promise, has had any interest in doing it. So in my opinion, you deserve everything you get good and hard if you're going to now suddenly believe that the government is in your favor uh, and that they're looking out for you and have your best interest at heart. It is 100% midterms. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Good. I agree with you that it, this is politically motivated, and the only reason why they're doing this is for the midterm elections. And this is like the go-to play for the Democrat from the Democrat playbook, goody politics, like I mentioned a moment ago. Yep. yep. Um, where, like I said, they they'll give you out like a Twix, and then anyone who tries to tell anyone who tries to take away that take away that Twix, and tells you like, for example, let's say it's a fat kid taking eating a Twix. And take that tricks away because you're telling him that he needs to lose some weight. That person who gave the candy is going to scream at you and say, look, he's the bad guy. He took your chocolate away. He's a bigot uh, or fat phobia, fat phobic, <laughs> something like something along those lines. Right. That's the modern Democrat. But so I definitely agree with you that it's uh, this is politically motivated. I'm not disagreeing with you there, but I, but I am saying that, like, I do think there could be a compromise at least. Let's say if you and I were the ones in charge right now in D.C. and we were trying to come up with a solution to deal with student loan debt. Power team. Power team here, right? <laughs> so this is my perspective. So uh, there's a couple ways we could go about this, right? So I th- I've heard some good ideas. I think – do you know Nicole Arbor? Harbor, whatever? Arbor? I think I've heard the name. I'm uh, Refresh my memory though. She's a comedian, a female comedian. Um conservative female comedian she does some collabs with jp awaken or jp sears excuse me and every now and then okay uh what, what did she say i'm curious now well she was she made a suggestion that for anyone who has student loan debts and instead of like making payments they should substitute that for their income tax so instead mm. of so they don't necessarily have to take it out of their pocket but their income tax, they know for a fact their income tax is going – that's being taken out is going directly to paying off their student loans. That's a middle-of-the-road solution that I thought was interesting. Um, and like I said a moment ago, at least from my perspective, anyone who's paid more than the original – than the principal, they should – those people should be forgiven. Those debts should be canceled. And if anything, for every cent they spent over the original principal – then they ought to give that money back to the individual. Um, and I'm speaking as someone who pretty much like anti-government, uh, <laughs> F the government at this point. Well, so, Go ahead. Uh, no, let me ask you this then. So the reason that we get loans is because of the interest, right? Because in an economic capitalistic society, when, when your economic principles are capitalistic in nature – Everyone is going to do things, not out of the goodness of their heart, but out of the ability to make money. And the interest is how these companies make money. And we can agree that it's it's predatory at times and that there are instances where it's very extreme. And yet people voluntarily, you did mention this, and that's important, voluntarily sign up to take these. So if we're not requiring them, as you had just mentioned, to, to pay the interest, i.e. The, the way that the companies make their money – how will we get these loans? This would be my question because no company is going to 
um, is going to take a risk and shell out money out of the goodness of their heart. I mean, <laughs> we just agree that they're terrible people, right? At times, they're like they're they they're predatory. They don't really care about you in that way. They see we can front the money because we have it. You don't. There is a need, and we have a supply, supply and demand. And the way that we are incentivized to supply that need is through the interest. Is there a way that your your middle of the road path accounts for that? That is a good question, Ryan. I did not know. I did not think about. Um, <laughs> that's I will admit. okay. That's okay. <laughs> I will admit that. But uh, how about? So I've also thought. I've also heard this idea for a solution, as far as kind of like a compromise. Um, instead of having the federal government pay off the debt, why not let these universities that are overpricing these students that's a good begin one. with? I've heard that one because, like, if instead of the federal government, to add to this. Instead of the federal government guarantee these loans, make the universities do it because when they give you a useless degree in underwater basket weaving that you can't get a job with and you can't pay off these loans and you hold the universities accountable, they're going to stop offering stupid in the stupid majors uh, that don't get you anywhere because it, you, people might not think about it this way. It's important to understand your four-year degree is useless. It is your major that either has value or doesn't, which is why when you look at a major like some form of engineering major or you look at like, you know, petroleum engineering or uh, medical field, something like that, that has value that that is desired in the market, those people make bank. I, I'll, I'll take a shot at myself when I'm in the arts and humanities, <laughs> it's not that they're not important, but as a communication professor who talks about things that. I truly believe are important and that I love. That's why I'm still in this field. There's not as much of a demand for that. There's lower risk to that, right? Like when I am a professor at the university, I incur less risk to do my job than someone who's a petroleum engineer who's, you know, out in the oil rigs, you know, like they make a lot more money in part because of the hazard of the risk that they incur. So uh, along with the demand, there is more of a demand for those things. So, to make the universities have to guarantee the loans like you mentioned instead of the federal government, I think that that could be one that helps the universities and incentivizes them to not only offer better majors that are desired in the market, but also to educate students, literally, uh, pun intended, <laughs> uh, but to educate the students on this is exactly what you can do with your degree. And of course – you know, most universities have that on their website, but how many students go there? They're all about getting you to sign, getting you to show up, taking your dollars, and then kind of leaving you out to dry. It's interesting. I will say, though, too, that I think this would also incentivize competition, again, within the university system. Yeah. I think that's part of the issue with the university system and why they're yes. skyrocketing these prices and cost of tuition because there's no competition they pretty much know these students are going to go ahead and take loans that they, they will probably yep. never be able to pay off at least within the next 10 yep. years anyway and so if you know there's guaranteed money coming in there's no cap on it then you can why who's to say like, i mean it's just being capitalistic i guess just right. thinking like a capitalist like who wouldn't raise prices at that point but who and my question again and i think we both know the answer to this who sets the incentivization for that it's the federal government so again this goes back to the government being a large part of the issue here yes of course predatory loans are an issue we can agree to that but they often become more predatory and they're incentivized to be more predatory when the federal government gives them 
that type of a backing. And the universities are incentivized to charge more because they know the money's going to come in. And then really at this point, academia, and I'm excited for our conversation with with Nikki because I've got a lot of things. You'll see Ryan unhinged again. Um, <laughs> they, it's it's prestige. It's like, oh, I went to Harvard. It's like, okay, great. Like, what, what are you? <laughs> the elite. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's, at, my fiance is attending Penn State, top 10 school, especially in our field. And it's been a running joke. I give her a hard time when I say, so you'll have the pedigree. I actually have to know what I'm doing because my school is not as well known. <laughs> and she she got into that school because she's way smarter than me. That that was not a shot at that. It was a shot at the, <laughs> the stamp of your university's name. Penn State means a hell of a lot more than North Dakota because it's an elite top 10, not Ivy League, but it is a top 10 Big Ten school. And so these Big Ten schools get to charge – it's like fifty to eighty thousand dollars a year in tuition for Penn State, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's, it's. I'm pretty sure it's like fifty five. Uh, that's ridiculous. It's, it's insane. And yes, it, that that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, but let's focus. <laughs> I'm getting off track here. Let's focus on how they're not equipping you to get out. And again, you mentioned this, Ken. And this was a, another great point you made. What person in their right mind isn't going to take advantage of the government helping them out, right? Like, and I, I feel like that was part of your question here is we know it's politically driven. We know that it's it's not good, but why can't I choose to benefit out of this? And of course, you know, if it rolls around, I'm going to be paying taxes. I'm going to take advantage of getting some debt <laughs> out, of course, but I stand against it until it happens for this reason. And I've got three. Number one, inflation. Number two, fairness. And number three, the concept of personal responsibilities and personal choice. So inflation. I mentioned this before. Where does where where does this debt go? Best case scenario and where I assume they're going to try and push off the pain. Um, Great. Going to be just absorb it into the, the national federal debt. We're already trillions of dollars in. Modern monetary theory. We can print as much as we want. Blah, blah, blah. No consequences. So boom. And that's what they're going to do. But that could, we're, we're already in inflation. And you're going to throw gasoline on the fire again. Really, Democrats? Really? Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's reason number one. If you think you're hurting now, if they do this, you're going to see more inflation. So good luck to all of us there. Fairness. What about the person who made the personal, and, and this ties into personal choice, what about the person who decided to not go to college and they did a trade job? They did like a lineman. So like a person who goes out and does telephone lines. Those people make like six figures, like high 80s, minimum of 70. Like they, they make really good money. And um, most instances you can get your trade school paid for. Um, in a lot of it, it's more of like an apprenticeship. So you're not spending four years just throwing money on the fire. Uh, so what about the person then who chose a blue-collar job over the elites and just decided <laughs> that they wanted to make that decision because they didn't want to go into debt? Now, raise taxes. They're hit with inflation and taxes to pay for the person who chose to do a worthless degree because they picked underwater basket weaving as a major. Where is the fairness there? And then my last thing is personal responsibilities. In America, I, I talked about all of the rights, you know, positive, negative rights, Second Amendment. We'll get into First Amendment. Along with that comes responsibility. And of course, we don't want to feel the pain when it comes time to pay the piper. But ultimately, we made that choice. And you did concede this point earlier, Ken, and said, you know, you agree with they made the choice. They should be responsible for that. I really think that the principle of the matter here is the only way to be fair by person is you're responsible for your own choices. Federal government, Big Daddy Sam comes in and pays off your tab. Where Where is the line now? How do we decide... You get you get this paid off. Sorry, you don't. You qualify. You don't. Like I guess my question, 
big picture, why are we not eradicating home mortgage loans and the interest there? Why are we not eradicating the blue collar related expenses like the huge loans that someone might have taken out to start a business and purchase a truck? Um, for their business, big diesel construction. Well, truck. Klaus Schwab said in 2030, you'll own nothing, be happy. So <laughs> be careful with that one. But then for you, I guess then, who is not Schwab and is more logically minded and willing to listen to reason, <laughs> I guess the question would be, where do we draw that line? And if we're going with the fairness or equity argument of these people need their debt, you know, not that you sound like that, but that's often how these people sound <laughs> is, you know, oh, but I don't want to pay off my loans. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. None of us do. But like you made that choice. Where do we draw that line? And that, that's a serious question. If you don't have an answer, that's that's all right. But I'm curious if you do. So I think the first one I did draw originally was if anyone who's actually any for anyone who has already paid more than the actual principal, those are the people that should be forgiven at that point because you've I mean, just because of interest rates for right. I don't so think you're saying fair. like if I if I if I took out a ninety thousand dollar loan and over the years I've paid a hundred thousand dollars back and I still haven't paid down my thing, forgive that. Yes, pay that, for, okay. All right. So for me, I think that would be a fair at least one idea as a fair compromise. Um, at least so you take out ninety thousand uh, dollar loan from the federal government, you'll get at least and you paid a hundred thousand into it. Uh, you'll get at least ten thousand dollars back. Even like I said, I, I even I mean I'm willing to even go as far as to say, for pe- those people, they should get a reimbursement because I don't think I think that's effed up to be honest. That you're paying more into the way you originally take took out. Excuse me. So that's one idea as far as a line driven. Um, you keep bringing up taxes, but you don't ever talk about cutting spending. Why not just cut spending? instead of raising taxes. Yeah, because I'm a realist, the government, <laughs> just, they're, they're more likely to, to cut that's taxes and to, to, <laughs> to stop spending. Neither of them is incredibly likely, but I guess that's my one, if I'm trying to be a realist, that was why I did that. But no, cutting spending, when I said taxation is theft, a large part of that is because the government spends it on garbage policies. I'm sorry, but Iran, who literally mutilates and throws anyone who claims to be transgender or even homosexual off of their buildings doesn't need billions of dollars for quote unquote gender equity research. They're putting it into nukes. Like that's where some of our tax dollars went recently. Um, And so it's a huge waste cut spending like that. Absolutely. I can agree with that. That's so that's another line driven or line drawn. I can't talk English tonight for some reason. Sorry. (laughs) That's all good. Uh, it's one of those. Nights, How much you been drinking, Ken? <laughs> uh, nothing. Uh, just a few drinks here or there. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no. So that's one idea. And then I'll even venture to say, with that compromise, I think there ought to be at least a transition period where we end the federal student loan program altogether okay. and privatize student loans once again. With a, some regulations to make sure, as you mentioned earlier, as far as private loans tend to be worse sometimes than yep. a federal loan. So let's have some regulation <laughs> along with that. This is not very conservative uh, coming out of me right now as far as like, talking regulations all of a sudden, forgiving student loan debt. Um, but I think it's a moderate position. I'm not so far to let them say, let's just forgive all student loan debt and give the middle finger to anyone who's actually <laughs> – you know, paid off their student loans or the blue collar worker who decided not to go to college right out of high school. 
this is coming from someone, by the way, who is who is not using student loans to pay for his college. Like I'm using the GI Bill, so I'm, my money is being funded by taxpayer dollars. So thank you, Ryan. I, I actually, uh, you're welcome. Uh, I got you. Uh, I actually, I want to, I want to use that as a quick segment because there are ways and people. This is my big problem with the loan forgiveness. Number one, you just talked about the loan forgiveness. It's important to note that what they're talking about for specifics is just federal loans. So if you took private loans, your SOL, like it will not forgive them. It is only the federal loans that they would consider forgiving right now. So we need to be very clear. If you're a voter in favor of this, you're going to be paying taxpayer dollars, your taxpayer dollars to wipe out people who took federal loans you are SOL if you are in the private loan sector. So just be aware of that. But, okay, so let's uh, so go going back to the private sector real quick, right? Yep, yep. So the private sector, you have a credit card, right? Yep. So what happens when you don't make your minimum payments on your credit card? Well, several things happen. Number one, your credit score is going to take a hit. Number two, you're going to be paying uh, interest on what your exactly. amount was. So that's another thing that I thought about recently was how come with student loans, they have to pay the interest on top of the principal? Why not let them pay the principal until like you have a scenario like the credit card scenario where they default, where they default and or they miss a payment and then that's when the interest kicks in. Mm. That incentivizes the students to go ahead and continue paying, but they're not paying more than what they originally took out, if that makes sense. That, that does. And actually, Ken, that's a great point that I didn't consider. I'll tell you one that I did consider. Um, and it's it's along the lines of what you had talked about with one of your tax-related ones. Cut the taxes of all people, like cut federal and state taxes so that these people have more money directly in their pocket. Because a lot of times, um, and even right now, Joe Biden and the Democrats are listing several problems. Number one, people are paying so much in their loan payments every month that they can't afford anything else. And number two, they're even talking about bringing out more stimulus packages for economic relief. Take your pick, student loans or even the inflation we're facing right now, if they stopped raising taxes and started cutting them for all people, these people would have more money directly in their pockets. That would actually be, in my opinion, a better alternative than student loan forgiveness, raising the minimum wage, or sending out another stimulus check. Because if the concept is to get these people more money in their pockets, we know, we know the government is not using the tax dollars well. So why rake that in and then create more? It's a perpetual downward spiral, a cycle of pain for us because the government says, oh, you need help. Let's do this this thing that creates more inflation. Oh no, you need help. Let's do this thing that needs more inflation. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Cut the taxes. So that way... You know, let's say, you know, your, your tax get cut and you, you've got, I don't know, even like a low tax rate, you have like $3,600 extra in the yearly thing that could go directly towards your student loans or even combining these. Like you just mentioned, combine this idea of cutting taxes with um, your idea of you only pay the interest if you default and then it all becomes due. Um, boom. That money could be going directly towards my payments right away. And then I get the personal choice. Do I want to pay the full balance? Do I want to pay extra? Like, I, I feel like maybe that is reaching a little bit more in the middle of the road. Um, I will say I'm a little. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I, okay. Well, you in a little bit. <laughs> well, no, no, you didn't pull me into loan forgiveness. You pulled me into a more tangible plan to fix the issue that we agreed was there. And that's why this is a productive conversation is because what I'm saying is you can't, 
split in half necessarily. I I I don't really see this as, you know, part of us are, you know, we're we're splitting in half the difference between <laughs> loans being forgiven and not. It's what's the alternatives we can do that reach the goals. This is what you would actually call value-driven negotiations. We look at what is the value. The values are the resolutions to the pain we see. Number one, people are paying way too much in interest. Number two, they're being taken advantage of. Number three, they are not getting degrees that are enabling them to pay anything back. Number four, they are being taxed to oblivion to where they can't actually pay these things off. And number five, they're being penalized when they might be a good person um, at paying off their loans. We're adjusting those issues instead of just, yep, sign it, flick of the wrist, Biden and the Democrats, you know, try to win some political points. Completely different conversation. This would be much better politics if they did what we're doing right here. 100% better. And the irony is I'm not even a liberal, and I took a more liberal position for a change. <laughs> it's true. Well, and that's, that's the thing. We just had – or Danielle and I just had a whole conversation about person over party. Vote for the people who reach your ideals, your values. Stop looking for whether they have a D or an R after their name. I will say all of the people with Ds after their name right now in Congress are going the route that is causing the pain, and they're pretending like it doesn't. And until they stop that, I will never vote for any of them. You get a Democrat in a different area, like maybe at a different level or someone who's willing to stand up to where the establishment Democrats and leftists are, I'm willing to consider these ideas. It's it's the establishment that I'm standing against. And I, I say that standing against the establishment Republicans on a lot of issues as well. It's why I'm not just about, you know, oh, fiscal responsibility. Like It's, it's not <laughs> what I'm interested in. And and uh, actually, I want to while I'm thinking of this, um, I want to circle back, <laughs> Jen Psaki, uh, circle back to what you had said about the GI Bill. And this raises a okay. very important point in. And even right now, there are ways for you to not have to pay off your debt. Number one, you can do your pre-service and then go to college like you are doing, and the GI Bill pays for your school. Number two, still military-related, you can sign up to where you promise to be commissioned as an officer once you complete your degree. At commencement ceremony, you are granted an officer rank and then you serve in the military for, I believe it's only four years, and you've got a few obligatory things you have to do while you're in school, but you get it paid off as you go. So you can choose your destiny there on how you want to complete that through the military. Number three, you've got Pell Grants, which means that if you are not financially capable, you don't even need the loans portion, these are grants. This is like a scholarship, base money for people who are the poorest of the poor to give them what they need so they don't have to take out these loans. It's kind of a supplement. That's something you can do. So it's not like I'm just sitting out here like, ah, screw people if they're too poor. <laughs> have you tried not being poor? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> um, also, humanitarian aid, like Habitat for Humanity. If you work a certain amount of years after your degree, they will actually pay off your loans, just like you mentioned with Florida, you work for the state government and they pay off your loans. There are ways to do this that aren't going to raise all of the issues that I brought up. If you do those things, you are still paying it off just in a different way. What I am opposed to is just flick of the wrist. You have buyer's remorse. You realized you, you messed up in the major you chose and signing in that debt. And now, even if you think it was a good idea to still get the degree, you regret having to spend so much of your income to pay it back. Personal choice. 
I'm sorry, but that was a choice that we made to do. And maybe it sucks in the moment, but that was still a choice. And making everyone suffer and making our quality of life worse to try and fix that, that's not the way to go, in my opinion. So it sounds like your perspective is that you're not against some sort of student loan, middle of the road position to pay off the student loans or maybe forgive some aspect of the loans. As I mentioned earlier, you're just not in favor of the federal government overseeding, giving a blank check to everyone who takes out a student loan. Is that fair? Exactly. Um, and actually, again, going back to my earlier point, Biden is trying to win political points for people who took out federal loans. You are still screwed if you took out private. So it, it's it's I'm opposed because of the way they're doing it. And I'm opposed because of who is doing it. And I'm opposed to the procedure. <laughs> like all three of those are, are, are hard passes from me. So it's a crisis in your perspective. It's a crisis just exacerbating the crisis even more um, if they went the route they're going in, which gets into the story in the next segment with the food plants burning and everything like that. So folks, stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break. Stay tuned. And now to take a short break from the show to keep my promise and bring in awareness to the situation in Afghanistan where we have about 9,000 American citizens who were left behind as a result of the disastrous withdrawal efforts by the Biden administration last year. The elite globalist leaders, the media, and big tech may have forgotten about them and would rather focus on other manners, but the reality is we have Americans who are in harm's way because nobody wants to hold our leaders accountable. It's just too inconvenient for them. So this is a special shout out to the families and friends who have someone they know and love stuck in that country, and also to the very ones who are stuck there. You are not forgotten, and I'll keep mentioning you until there is a report, there is a concentrated effort to bring you home, and every single one of you comes back to American soil. Please, if you fall into one of these categories, either you're the family friend that knows someone that's there, and you want to, want to let me know how we can better help you out, please reach out, or if you're that person, it just so happens to be stuck there and you happen to be listening to this episode, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me through my personal account on Instagram at Kenjin296. I repeat, Kenjin296. Spell the word engine, put the letter K in for the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, 296. Please, you're not forgotten. Uh, to my audience out there, don't forget to pray. Let's pray for their safety and their return home. And now, back to the show. fire at a food processing plant. This is for Taylor Farms. And right now there are concerns about a huge plume of ammonia. Uncertainty consumes the employees of an Eastern Oregon food processing plant, decimated by a fire earlier in the week. Now to an update on the food plant fire in Hermiston, Oregon that happened yesterday. The Umatilla County Fire District says the evacuation orders for people living nearby that plant were lifted. They say the hot spots are out now and the smoke has dispersed. Crews think a boiler powered by natural gas exploded, causing this fire. Ms. Green, you've had your disagreements with Speaker Pelosi. Is that right? I'm not sure what you mean. You've had political disagreements with her. You don't agree with some of the things she's done in her career, right? Politically speaking, that would be correct. Right. You don't agree with a lot of things she's done, right? 
Politically speaking, that would be correct. In fact, you think that Speaker Pelosi is a traitor to the country, right? Uh, you're, I'm not answering that question. It's speculation. It's you, hypothetical. You've said that, haven't you, Ms. Green, that she's a traitor to the country? No, I haven't said that. Okay. Please uh, exhibit five, please. Which oh, no, wait. Hold on now. I believe by not upholding the uh, securing the border, that that violates her oath of office. You understand that on social media posts like Facebook and Twitter, uh, one of the things, well, I guess on Facebook, one of the things you can do is you can like someone's post, right? You can like people's posts. And when you like someone's post, that's a way of signifying that you agree with or admire or think is cor it's correct, post is correct, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't agree with your phrase of questioning. Well, I'm asking you. Isn't it true that when you like, when you personally, Ms. Green, like someone's post, you're signifying your approval for what the post said? No, I don't agree with the, how you're phrasing that question. No, I don't agree with that. Um, so, it's true, though, that you liked a post that suggested that, quote, a bullet to the head of Nancy Pelosi would be a quicker way to remove her as Speaker of the House than impeachment, right? Now, you're using a CNN article, which has lot CNN has lied about me multiple times, and you're using a CNN article I'm as your you evidence. My question. Did you like a post that said it's quicker? that a bullet to the head would be a quicker way to remove Nancy Pelosi from the role of I Speaker. have had many people manage my social media account over the years. I have no idea who liked that. Welcome back. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, the usual. I'm with my friend Ryan from Between the Liars. How was your break, sir? It's good, and let's note I've moved up to honorary co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, honorary co-host Ryan Goat. <laughs> I, I was given that title, and I'm going to claim it, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm still looking for a co-host. So anyone out there to my audience or anything like that, if you're listening, you're you're interested in talking politics, you're more than welcome to come on my show. And I'll interview even for you to become my official co-host. <laughs> it would be nice to actually have a co-host where, like, if I'm not feeling well one week, that co-host can take the lead and take care of that, take care of that for me. But uh, for now, I gotta grind it out. So, all right. Well, if any of our listeners, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on our platform and you wanna, if you want me to connect you with Ken, you let me know. I'll put you two in contact. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you Absolutely. for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you want to? Eh, we'll see. Ken's okay. <laughs> Damn. All right. That's how it is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Good time. I wouldn't keep coming back if Ken wasn't a great host. And I mean, and look at our last segment. I mean, he can even handle a little bit of differences, even on his own show. Yes, um, I could definitely handle. I could definitely hold my own weight, especially when um, there's some pushback or a more liberal perspective. Or in the last case, I'm the one who came came in with a more liberal perspective, I guess you could say, <laughs> than a typical conservative. I. Uh, it could serve anyway. When you go to Twitter, anyway, the conservatives are in upheaval about it. Like, oh hell no! Which um, I'm like, well, they maybe they're not totally wrong. I think we should listen to the liberals a little bit on this issue. 
I feel um, like, you know, you answered your own question there. The statement of when I went to Twitter, this, Twitter's a cesspool. It doesn't matter where you're going or what side you fall on. Twitter is a cesspool of terrible ideas more often than not. So, I mean, <laughs> if, true. If, if you were getting the outrage, not surprised there. I mean, I, I feel like. I don't know. Personally, ever since I, ever since Elon purchased Twitter, we'll get into that actually a little later. In just a I'll second. kill you up for that segue in a bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, which we call it. But uh, ever since about fires. <laughs> yes, ever since yeah, ever since Elon, it's been a free for all right now on Twitter's. It's actually kind of fun. So, um, I finally opened up my own Twitter account, folks. By the way, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, just type in at Kenjin Express. There's no underscore this time. Just type in at Kenjin Express, and you can find me with the usual logo. So, for this story, this gets into more conspiracy theory territory a little bit. Um, I'll start off with the da, confirmed... Da, da, da. Yeah, da, da, da. I'll start <laughs> off with the confirmed parts from the Vision Times uh, with a string of fires destroying food processing facilities across America. I think this should get more attention than it, sh- it has been, so here I am talking about it. A curious string of fires and plane crashes over the last month have have destroyed the facilities of at least five major food processors across four different states, exacerbating and escalating inflation and supply chain crisis that is quickly becoming chronic. Uh, the most instant appear, appears to be the destruction of Oregon-based Azure Standards Joint Headquarters and Warehouse Facilities during the night of April 18th. Uh, other places include Taylor Farms out of California, Jim State out of Idaho, Maricopa, uh, Maricopa out of Arizona, Shares Food out of Oregon, Rio Fresh out of Texas, Bonanza Meat out of Texas, Hot Pocket Plants, uh, Kellogg's, Hot Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Kellogg's Company out of Tennessee, uh, Tyson Poultry, Poultry Meal, Plants out of Alabama, River Meats out of Wisconsin. There's a lot more, but you get the point. Uh, it is worth mentioning this isn't happening in a slow, methodical manner uh, where one can suggest this is isolated. This is happening within a one-month span. There have actually been pictures of the plants that have been burnt out across America within the last month. And when they say across America, it literally means from sea to shining sea. It is across the state, the continental U.S., where these plants are being burned to the ground. Um, and this is where it kind of gets into the conspiratorial a little bit. Um, but by the way, before I go before real quickly, like these losses aren't small. These are like thousands of dollars of food being vanished in the fire. Um, but this here we go. So this gets into like my more conspiracy theory a little bit. My initial thoughts. This seems to be too well timed to be an accident. Uh, just so happens to be timely that Biden and the Democrats are talking about a food shortage coming. That we as Americans need to brace ourselves. That this is the next crisis, which gets into my deeper conspiracy that you can't let a good crisis go to waste, aka the Great Reset, aka Klaus Schwab. <laughs> Which the Biden administration, through circumstances and actions, there's no direct evidence um, that they're part of the Great Reset. But from my perspective, through circumstances and actions, they are part of the Great Reset. So this is in tune for what they want. And it just so happens that Bill Gates is also buying up the farmland at the same time in America, who is also part of the Great Reset. How much I am not certain, but he's associated with the World Economic Forum. Coincidence, Ryan? 
I think not. Imagine <laughs> if we didn't have a food shortage on the horizon, but because these accents, because of these accents, we might actually have to brace ourselves for an actual crisis. They're fabricating a crisis that didn't even have to exist. Just like every other crisis that this administration has dealt with from COVID, Afghanistan, Ukraine, the food supply shortages. And they think the disinformation task force, which that gets to a little bit later on, is going to help people not see through this. Give me a break. Ryan, your initial thoughts. Well, let me let me just stop you right there, Ken, and say that if we reach a food crisis or a shortage it will be because of the the Putin spiral, Ken. I I don't really know how you could <laughs> that's misinformation. That <laughs> like I I feel like you know, and and not to mention the fact that uh, you mentioned this being you know conspiracy theory territory, and uh, I have here a Snopes fact check on your conspiracy theory. I say this <laughs> uh, a fact check um, because oh. here's the claim. I came you know prepared with. My fact check, again, I'm being facetious here just in case anybody wasn't aware of oh, sarcasm. Right, the idiot. <laughs> uh, the claim, to Ken's point, an abnormal number of fires have occurred at food processing plants in 2022. And here's why Snopes says your claim there, sir, is false. And, of course, it gives the context. The claim of a new trend of fires at food processing <laughs> facilities does not hold up upon scrutiny, of course, because it was rated false, you know. Almost all the fires on meme lists, Ken, I can't believe you get your 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 information from memes, involve <laughs> explainable causes, of course, because if it was inexplicable, <laughs> we wouldn't be wondering, or we would be wondering still. And, and of course, there's no examples of expected arson. One of the included examples involved an abandoned building, while another involved a butcher shop, not a large food processing facility. So, Ken, not all of these are large industrial-sized food <laughs> processing facilities. And most importantly, this quote-unquote trend is not new. Now, I don't know about you, but if it's so relieving to me when you can explain away my fears about a food shortage by saying it's not new that these fires have been going on. That, like, that's, so let me interject you real check. quick. Was, let me interject you real quick. Every time, I, every time I hear about fat checkers, it's like the fat – it, to me, it's almost like that know-it-all that just wants to add that extra piece of information that no one really cares about. Like, my dog is a Siberian Husky, <laughs> but if I had a fat checker come in my room right now, she, he would, he or she would tell me, no, Ken, she's not a purebred Siberian Husky. That is false, dangerous misinformation, Ken. Sorry, that's what I think. When you write that out, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, it also depends on how they want to spin it. Because, for example, if I said I woke up this morning and I had a cup of coffee... And I don't know, I had eggs for breakfast. They'd be like, well, that's suck check false because you also had a bagel with that. And it's like you <laughs> know, exactly, exactly what you're saying there. They like when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claimed falsely, by the way, that she had been like basically in the heat of the Capitol riot, like people were coming for her. She felt endangered. And basically these conservative hosts said she was a mile and a half away. She was not there. Those people were fact-checked, not her. The people who said that that she was not close were fact-checked on the, the grounds that, well, we can't really know how someone felt. So while it's true that she wasn't there, validate whether or not she felt like she was in danger. Do you see the game that's being played here? Oh, yeah, it's a game of semantics. Semantics. Exactly. Semantics, 100%. I would also venture to say, um, well, first and <laughs> foremost... Anytime they are rushing to fact check these claims, 
it's that expression where if you throw a shoe in a pack of dogs or a pack of wolves, the one who yelps is the one that got hit. Um, every time I see that, I feel like I'm on to something, Ryan. It seems like they wouldn't be in a rush to fact check these claims if they didn't get hit or touched a nerve or people are they're you know, that's a nerve that's being touched anyway. Well, let me just fact check you right there. The only reason that we <laughs> fact check people, Ken, is because disinformation is very dangerous to the health of our democracy. And those ideas are just too dangerous. And the people, quite frankly, you commoners, you peasants, are just too stupid <laughs> to be able to sift through what is really true and what's not, which is why we as the elite fact checkers must, of course, do the thinking for you. Leave your brains at home, ladies and gentlemen. You forgot to do the elite level, like, oh, you little peasants. <laughs> yeah, so, no, thank you. Um, I am Ryan, and this is Dangerous Misinformation. It's, again, fat checkers, it's like they're programmed to automatically defend anything that speaks against the World Economic Forum or anything really that has, that checks off the boxes as far as they are, they claim to be liberal at the very most. As long as they claim to be liberal in any one who claims to be conservative or have a right-wing perspective or conservative perspective, those fat checkers are going to be like a bunch of hound dogs where they see a pack of meat in the middle of the road. They are going to go after that piece of meat, regardless if there's a car coming in that's going to hit them and make them look stupid for actually pursuing that piece of meat. They're going to pursue that piece of meat, and they're going to make themselves look absolutely dumb in the process because, again, it's just like useless information that it's like, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious. I understand my dog <laughs> is not a purebred Siberian Husky, but she's still a Siberian Husky. Thank you. <laughs> well, let me let me genuinely answer your question because, I mean, of <laughs> course, the whole tongue-in-cheek, ch- tongue facetious, you know, fact-checking there because your question was not about fact-checking. Uh, <laughs> it was about uh, the conspiratorial direction that this has been going. Here's what I would say. If I found out that the government was deliberately creating a food shortage, it would not surprise me. I don't know no. that the evidence there, basically in the absence of evidence, I tend to assume the best in people, even the government, despite what you hear me usually say. No. Uh, but but it, it would not surprise me if that were the case. However, here's here's where I think just following the logic train for a second here. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Democrats and leftists. <laughs> Uh, I think following the logic train, we could see that it would actually be more harmful to do this because they are coming up on a midterm election. And who gets blamed when we have hardships of any kind is always going to be the party of the sitting president. So I really feel like, you know, I I don't think that the political malfeasance that it would take and the incompetence, well, it wouldn't surprise me. I just don't think they have it in them to do that and then try to get out of it when we're so close to midterms. We just talked last segment about how they're totally invested in trying to take their, you know, get their, their numbers up for midterms. I just, I guess if I'm trying to be logically consistent here, I don't think I can on the one hand say the government is doing abysmal and that they're getting down in those numbers, but then also say that they would do something like this. If that makes sense. Like I I just, I want to grant them the benefit of the doubt, but it would not surprise me if down the road we find out that, that this was intentional like you said, especially with how hard they're trying to cover it up, it seems. Correct. I would venture to say as well that these fat checkers, they also know it's uh, midterm elections this year. And so they're going to do whatever they can to cover this up. 
Absolutely. Um, and so again, one of those scenarios where if the fat checkers are in a rush to fat check people like myself or yourself or the memes, I guess, it probably means there's some truth behind it. They just don't they just want to make sure that it doesn't get spread out or doesn't keep spreading and they can try to, to debunk this, but we all know with every conspiracy that starts floating around, there's no going back. It seems like they, it's weird how they always try to censor this information or suppress it, but the information still finds a way to get out. That's just the beauty of the internet. Um, altogether. I will also say that I agree with you that I would not be surprised if the government actually did this intentionally or if the government was behind all this. However, playing devil's advocate to myself, what if you know they said like this is not just fires starting, this is based on also plane crashes as well. What pilots are gonna sign up and agree to basically commit suicide on these food plants? Playing devil's advocate to myself at this point. So I do have some skepticism on the conspiracy theory that this is government run, mainly for the fact as far as again, who would actually as if you're in a plane, like some of these are actually based as a result of plane crashes, who would actually sign up to, I mean, basically go full-blown terrorist mode at that point, except it's not foreign, it's domestic terrorism at that point. So, And you, you, you could, in theory, to just kind of push back against your own pushback against your own pushback, <laughs> uh, is, I mean, in theory, it could be drones too. I mean, you could have non-manned or womaned, if we want to be inclusive here, planes. Uh, so. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, although, I, actually, I don't. I don't know where the planes like commercial, like or, or like. I'm. I'm just picturing more of like either a, like one of the crop duster planes where it's like a single person plane um, where they could like parachute out. Like, I don't know, if we're just really going down the rabbit hole and going to do it, I don't think it's impossible that you know. Let me put it this way. The government finds a way when they want to. And I will say this. I know I just said that I like to give my government the benefit of the doubt. I will also say that the government. It never has the interests of its citizens at heart unless it aligns with their motives. So, for example, if it helps them retain more power or if it is just, you know, more inconvenient for them to not be in favor of their citizens, the government is all about overreach. The government is all about control. Uh, historically, that is what we know. And so I remain distrusting of my government despite the fact that it's exhausting so i try to give them the benefit of the doubt i'm not immediately going to jump on the conspiratorial train but again would not surprise me um given the just the crazy like you know micro dosing people with lsd that the what was it the cia <laughs> like there's crazy crazy things that they do to experiment on unwitting american citizens and it's like uh that's a friggin violation of not only the constitution but like <laughs> all these laws and you know who gets the exemption government politicians like of it's, course it's that's that's the way that it is so let me let me play into the conspiratorial role again this is Ooh. not this is not ryan saying he believes it i'm just saying if i really wanted to jump on board here's the one way i could see i just tried to defend the current administration and, and explain why they wouldn't do this. And I do believe that, but here's one way I could see them doing this deliberately. You see Biden taking advantage and his administration. So don't think that if you vote for Democrats and vote Biden out next time, it's going to get better. They're one and the same. Democrats are using the crisis of a shooting to crack down on gun control. They use, um, you know, spikes. They stop, they, they twist the data for COVID reporting 
to get the types of laws that they want and the control that they want. They want the WHO to be able to continue to have emergency powers when it's not an emergency. So they stop reporting deaths and they start reporting infections, right? So like they're, they're deliberately manipulating these things. And I say this to, so that you don't think I'm crazy before I go all conspiratorial. <laughs> so anyway, bottom line, they're capitalizing on the crisis. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Like you, you've been saying, Ken, what about when it comes to the automotive industry? We see that, you know, Biden is only allowing the reserves to be tapped into for two reasons. Number one, it burns through our reserves, which means that in theory, he's telling the, or not in theory, he is telling explicitly his green side, the, you know, the, the more psycho green energy to the detriment of everyone else side of his party, that He's doing this because once it's used up, we're not drilling anymore. So, you know, it's we're, we're literally burning up the fossil fuels here. So just wait it out. And number two, he's doing it so that he stops getting the hate in the polls. So it's benefiting him to do that. And then also he's trying to backdoor more Green New Deal aspects where it's like, well, we're just going to give incentives to these automotives that are only electric, blah, blah, blah. So there is a political reason to doing that. What if, here's me being conspiratorial. Hey. What, what if they're doing this, tying to the Green New Deal, what's one of the main tenets that these people talk about? They talk about how the consumption of meat contributes to global warming, right? Yes. What if they're allowing this sabotage to take place to their own detriment because they, they think there's a way they can bypass that, like or you know just say it's putin blah 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 like they could literally come out and say this is oh my goodness we've just found out that the planes crashing it are actually from russia you know like there's ways that they <laughs> could you know tie this in so what if the reason they're doing this is because they think it will help them call for aggressive legislation for the garbage green new deal ryan you may be on something i know now I, I am of sound mind and I am not suicidal. So <laughs> if uh, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, <laughs> exactly. And I said, and you have recorded proof. This is my voice, and I should get a camera going here. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> but no, like in in all seriousness, I could see that as a viable way that they do this. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, but I I am I, I, when I laid that groundwork, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get to that point dear listeners. Uh, <laughs> but I, I tried to lay the groundwork of this is examples of what the Biden administration does to CYA, cover your butt, um, and get the, the I like to say they're not capable of playing chess because it's too intellectual for them. But like they are capitalizing on the crises of, well, we need to hurt. They could maybe they don't even do it for the Green New Deal. Maybe they do it to get us into the new world order. Right, because those kind of go hand in hand. So maybe they're doing this because, on top of you want to get really conspiratorial, maybe the, go, the the bird flu that's going on is man-made. Like I don't know. Like if we really want to go like all Alex Jones, maybe they're combining these quote-unquote natural disasters to push us into the new world order. I don't know. Now, <laughs> genuinely, I don't believe <laughs> that. But like, would it shock genuinely. me if I found out that's what they're doing? Hell no, it wouldn't shock me. And that's the first time Ryan has actually gone conspiratorial mode. So I'm glad it's I rubbed fun. off on you a little thank bit. You. Thank I rubbed you, off thank on you. you a little bit finally. <laughs> now, the difference is I, I genuinely don't believe that that's the case, but I, I can make a logic train to get us there. So, Whereas fun fact, I... I... <laughs> You're what? 
Well, I was going to say, whereas I kind of tend to believe these more conspiratorial uh, ideas oh, no. or stories. I'm, I'm feeding into <laughs> Ken's, Ken's distrust. <laughs> That's all right. Well, uh, fun fact, I am Q uh, from Q and I. <laughs> I am Q. Uh, <laughs> all these conspiracies were me, and this is the long game. Ryan getting into Ken's show was just to get you to organically believe that I was actually against these things. Yeah, so See, you can that, do it with anything. <laughs> so I'm not that far deep, all right? So give me some credit on that sense, but I definitely agree with I you. I will. <laughs> you get the credit. I'll give you the credit there. I appreciate it. But I will say, though, like, I definitely, I mean... There's also a push from the United Nations to switch from meat to plant-based diets in regards to, like you said, how cows produce CO2 emissions with their farts. Like, that's a real talking point, believe it, it or is. not. <laughs> it's, I'm not making that up. That's a real talking point. Yep. That's not conspiracy. Like, and, yep. and actually, it's it's more of a criticism to the Green New Deal than anything else because the greenhouse gases that are emitted through cow gases – are actually greater than a lot of the things they're trying to legislate and regulate. Um, you can go back to yes. one of the original times I came on this show. I did a whole takedown of the BS argument that global warming or climate change is the greatest threat to the United States. It's not that I don't think that the climate changes here and there. It's that they take a crisis and they use it to ram down their garbage legislation. The amount of... The amount of good that their policies do does not outweigh the harm that it does bottom line full stop period the end like what they want is is to do whatever the hell they want and they want to pass legislation that keeps their further fringe leftist supporters Fringe minority, just say it, Justin Trudeau. (laughs) The fringe minority of unacceptable opinion. No, Uh, (laughs) no, that's that's you, Ken. That's not the left. The left is mainstream. In <laughs> fact, if you look at what, you know, if, if you look, it's like Josh coming on our show and saying that uh, if you it, Twitter had to tweak the way they viewed the quote unquote alt-right, because if it went by Germany standards, the most moderate Republicans would be flagged as alt-right. And I'm like, OK, that, that demonstrates that the Overton window or what we view as like the center has shifted because of the media and because of the new standards is nothing to do with objectively where the right stands or what their beliefs are. Like that's you're 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 spewing. It's right there. Like that's that's about as much stuff as I put in some of these <laughs> well, talking. I would, points. I would venture to say, too. I mean, I know we make fun like how I bore into that Alex Jones realm of like conspiracy theories and everything like that. But as far as like standards by 10 years ago, I'm a moderate conservative. I don't think I'm that far right wing, but by today's standards, I just happen to be right wing by today's standards. Exactly. Well, a lot of a lot of my ideas are more libertarian to traditional liberal, but they've shifted it to be if you are to the right of honestly, probably like Hillary Clinton at this point, then you are (laughs) alt right. In fact, um, Tim Poole. Go give uh, his – he's got several channels. He's got Tim Cass IRL in real life, which is more like debate uh, where he like has guests on and they talk about things. It's really more of a discussion, not even a debate. Um, he's got more like monologue stuff, uh, but he's got a couple of different channels. Tim Poole was much he, – he actually supports a lot of leftist policies, but he wound up voting for Donald Trump because of how crazy the left has gone. That, that gives you an example of the Overton window shifting to where now – when he basically says something along the lines of free speech should exist, they're like, ah, Tim Pool has become the 
brainwashed Republican, conservative, alt-right. This man was very much in favor of a lot of the more liberal policies, especially in the more traditional liberal sense, the even leaning left. He used to vote for Bernie Sanders. That tells you where he was at, but where the left has gone, they've shifted those rules to where now even he is considered. I mean, even Joe Rogan, for goodness sake, Joe Rogan is a hot, hot smoking Bernie bro who was in favor of a lot of Bernie's policies, but now he's labeled as not just disinformation, alt-right conservative, but he's considered dangerous. And it, and and it's where the left is losing people. This is a whole side conversation, but let me just wrap this point up by saying <laughs> the I'll cap it. <laughs> the left is losing the moderate base because they're telling them if you're not fully on board, then we then you are hateful. And everyone to the right of that is just saying, you know what? Uh, if we can agree Thank on you. core values like individuality and personal responsibility and liberty and free speech, you're welcome here. It's when you want to, you know, shift away from that that we disagree. Boom, eating these people up. So good luck in the midterms, guys. <laughs> That's in my the, takeaway. In the words of Ben Shapiro, the Demo- well before the 2020 election, the words of Ben Shapiro, and I make fun of and criticize Ben Shapiro because I think sometimes... What are you doing bringing a white supremacist on? That's all Yeah, <laughs> I know. How dare we? How dare we? But in his words, the Democrats have lost their minds at this point. Um, that's also fair to say. And I don't really curse a whole lot on my show these days. So that's the first <laughs> time I've cursed in a minute. So I'm going to probably have to bleep that out. But yeah, out. Like, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, like you said, like the, the, there is no middle ground at this point. And someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, by standards by maybe even 10 years ago, Probably more that blue-collar Democrat perspective, perhaps, as far as like a lot of her beliefs. And but now she's also considered to be a crazy QAnon person, a right-wing extremist, which gets into your story, Ryan. It does. Um, what kind of what kind of story do you got to share? Because <laughs> my my one of my favorite politicians right now, which she's not really a politician, she has a voters' perspective when she's up in Congress, which we need more of that for Congress to represent us, but I digress. Ryan, the floor is yours. Uh, Before I get into that, I just want to plug the reason that I support what she does, not because I support all of her ideas, but because there's actually an interview with Tim Pool on Tim Kaine's ARL, where she talks about, and this is where Tim, as someone who wildly disagrees with several of the things that she says and does, um, and, and the values that she holds in some instances even, he and I agree with her on that she does the roll call vote. And if you don't know what that is, you can watch the whole segment where she explains this. But basically, yep. Congress isn't doing their freaking job. They have a <laughs> representative of the representatives. So, like, we, in theory, elect all of these people to go and vote. That's why they're paid literally the big bucks, up to over $200,000 a year now, plus pension for the rest of their life, at like $70,000 a year plus. And they're not even doing the one thing. <laughs> Yeah, way overpaid, but they're not even doing the one thing we pay them to do, and that is to vote and craft legislation. And so this is why I liked her for this one reason, because if you do a roll call vote, everyone has to show up. They have to drop whatever they're doing. They have to come back and do their freaking job and they have to vote. And it goes on record, yay or nay. So then we, the people know who, how they're voting. So for that reason alone, I can support what she's doing. And for that 
reason alone, she receives all of the hate, although they don't say it's for that reason, from not just the left, but from the establishment, period. And that includes a lot of Republicans who were forced to come back and do their damn job. Like Kevin McCarthy? Yes. So just be aware that before you go off and believe the QAnon conspiracy, and she does say some stuff that's out there, my metric of is this a person that I want representing me is is at this point on the floor of <laughs> do you do your job and do you shake things up? Are you for the people? And she's not going to be for a lot of people who disagree with her policies, obviously, but she is holding your politician, your representative accountable. So in theory, even if let's say someone who agrees with her and someone who wildly disagrees with her, you can Unite on the fact that she is making every one of your other representatives do their damn job. And for that, I think that it is worth hearing out. A big round of applause. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a, that's a clapping right there, folks. So So. (laughs) before you stop listening to our episode and to why I go in and defend her, it's not because of the specific things she says, but because of what the unjust things other people are saying. So hear this out. And, uh, if you disagree, let me know why. Like, I, I would love to have some feedback. You can tweet at me. You can DM us. You can DM me. Um, but I would love to hear if you agree or disagree with this hearing that uh, M- uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, has been put through uh, for the January 6th insurrection. It's not an insurrection. I'll get into that in a second. But <laughs> here's here's the story. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> here's the story. Marjorie Taylor Greene was called to testify before uh i believe it was before congress it was actually a separate court it was a separate it was like it, a a, it was a court in georgia that's right her home state where she's in theory going to be running for re-election basically what the left is doing here is they can't beat her because she, whether or not you agree with her she's wildly popular in her district and where the people are voting for her and that's what matters because they feel she represents her. So what the left is doing, because they can't beat her and stop her in the elections, they're trying to stop her from being reelected. And so they're basically doing this clown show of a trial. And I say clown show, and here's my, I'll give you one piece of evidence, and this is all you need. The crux of their argument was on the fact that she, quote unquote, called for an insurrection of storming the Capitol. And they asked her, they said, was this something you said? And she said, when was that video published? And they said, I don't know. And she said, (laughs) it was 2019, I believe. Sure enough, when they looked it up, the video where she said, and I quote, we need to flood the Capitol building and protest tyrannical leadership, blah, blah, blah. I'm starting to paraphrase there. But basically, she was saying that the leaders need to fear us. This was in 2019 before she wound up being elected. And so she was basically saying, go and peacefully protest. And if you don't know this, in the congressional chambers, unless there's like specific restrictions, most of the time you can go in, you can observe, and you can actually get people to go in and protest. And she successfully orchestrated a peaceful protest in 2019. And this incompetent, I don't even know if it was deliberately incompetent because they were like through mal, you know, like through malicious intent trying to like frame her this way and they knew this, or if they're so incompetent that they don't understand that this was not her calling for the January 6th of 2021 storming of the Capitol. Bottom line, they were not aware that this video was not even from 2021. It was from 2019. 
Sounds like they did their homework. Exactly. So that is why that is the only thing I need to give you to say this is an absolute clown show because they're trying to twist what she's saying to say she openly called for insurrection against the sitting president, you know, the the duly elected president through the most fair and free election we've ever had, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so they're saying that she threw the 14th Amendment. And I'll, I'll explain exactly where they're going at with this. Interesting. They're trying to prevent her from running for re-election. So does that make sense? Have I set the stage enough, Ken? That you have you know, set the stage. Okay. And this is the second week that we've gone over, but before last week, the trial had not taken place yet. So okay. now we're getting an update, basically. So then do do people... Do people understand then uh, what the 14th Amendment is? Uh, I, I'm thinking I should just quickly read this clause and then explain where I'm going with this. Go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to read all of the 14th Amendment. I'm going to skip to clause or to, excuse me, section three, which states no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president, i.e. the Electoral College, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any state. So you can't be state, you can't be federal. Having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislator or as any executive or judicial officer of the of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Uh, such, yeah, disability. Basically, this is saying if you took an oath as an elected member of Congress, you know, at, at any level, and then you engage in insurrection, you engage in rebellion against your country, against the oath you took, you can't hold an office. Interesting. The, the context of this is the Civil War. Um, those people who were at one point congressional members and legislators had taken an oath and then they engaged in actual insurrection through the civil war to separate themselves from the United States as the Confederate States. And so this was basically saying, if you did that, you are disqualified from running for or being in the office. And if you are in office and this happens, we can remove you. That that's the context for the 14th amendment and specifically Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And they're basically trying to say Marjorie Taylor Greene is disqualified from running for re-election because she engaged in an in insurrection, in rebellion. And this is why it's so important to the left for their narrative that they keep calling January 6th an insurrection. It's why they keep replaying it. It's why they basically have these shrines and altars built to commemorate January 6th when literally nothing happened, there was a riot. The people who were in that riot were stopped and I condemned and I will continue to condemn what they did. But it was by definition not an insurrection. And we know that for a couple of reasons. I'm going to actually pull up the exact definition of insurrection. Well, I'm going to go ahead and push back a little bit. And this okay, go is ahead. one of those little disagreements we may have here and there. Sure. Um, not to take away from the story, obviously, but I wouldn't call it a riot even personally. Um, for some, that's I for think, some. I, I would venture to say what happened that day, especially the people who actually made it into the Capitol building, I wouldn't call it a riot. Uh, it was more like a 
frat party gone wild from my perspective, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, okay. it real, man. Well, then, then let me push back on that, and and this might be an instance where semantics, and you know, we 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 might just agree to disagree, and that I'm okay with that because really it doesn't take away from the broader point because we're about to be on the same level, I think. Sooner <laughs> uh, rather than later. Yes. The reason I say that because there were people who rioted, and like Ashley Babbitt, for example, the only person to die on the January sixth riot. That was her, a Trump supporter, and she was shot while trying to assault an officer of the um, of of the Capitol. She's the only one to die. There were no officers who died directly during the assault on the Capitol, and there was no one who died. Period. So, other than Ashley Babbitt, she's the one person who died, and she was shot while committing a violent act like and that's just kind of a consequence of what she did but there there were people who were legitimately let in by the police and again um i don't know exactly why that was the case but i would imagine that (laughs) someone got a win as long as as long as you're not impeding the the due process of the legislators there you're actually allowed in the capital for the most part so i i I don't know i'm not going to justify why they went in um but we know that this wasn't an insurrection because here's the definition a violent uprising against an authority or government and we don't see these people being successful in that like usually when you see an insurrection taking place the government is swapped out Donald Trump would have remained in power or they would have replaced it with like a coup. And it's usually also requiring that you have the support of the legislators. And that's what they're trying to claim is that like Marjorie Taylor Greene and some, a lot of the other Republicans supported in this when really they didn't. And in fact, the evidence they bring forward is, well, you challenged the election. You have to use the constitutionally approved balance of powers to challenge an election when you can demonstrate that there was at least a level of fraud, right? So like that they're, they're trying to rope everybody together. And here's why I say we know this wasn't an insurrection because one, a lot of what was done didn't meet that actual definition, at least not for like, say, Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? And then on top of that, these people who are sitting through trial, not one of them has been charged with sedition or insurrection. They've been charged with trespassing or like vandalism, much, much less serious charges than insurrection. So we know this for two reasons. One, it doesn't meet the definition. And two, the courts are not charging them or prosecuting them with that definition. And yet the left is trying to put Marjorie Taylor Greene through the ringer on claims of sedition or claims of insurrection. And largely the aiding, abetting, blah, blah, blah. And we don't see that being the case because look at their evidence. 2019, flood the Capitol. But she met peacefully, and she also said it two years before that. So, like, this is not lining up. But they're so unable to stop the populism of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, very closely, very closely related with the Trump train, right? Like she is very much an integral part of like, she is as disliked, if not potentially more, I, I would say Donald Trump is probably disliked more than her, but a lot of the same sentiment is placed on her that she's an insurrectionist, blah, blah, blah. Mark my words. If they can, especially if they can convict her and prevent her from running on this ballot, they will try to make the same call for Trump. And uh, I'll, Give it to you in just a second because I really want to hear what your thoughts are on this. But I will say absolutely she was not a part of an insurrection because there was no insurrection. They keep using that language and it's very intentional. But none of the charges they bring 
None of the actual evidence that they bring supports that. So they just get to use language. And I'm sorry, but the left who is so concerned with how language is a power structure and harms X person or X group, don't tell me that this is unintentional. It is 100% intentional because their case is you engage in insurrection, 13th, or 14th Amendment, Section 3, disqualified because we cannot stop you in the election. So we need to stop you from running in the election. So the first thing that I thought about, I noticed you gave yourself a little cushion there as far as why you are bringing this story up with Marjorie Taylor Greene there, something like that. Listen, I mean, you know me at this point. Like, I'm a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, so, like, I am all about Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene. I don't care if you like that or dislike that. Uh, I am a fan. Anyone who could piss off the establishment has, is, gets a green check for me at that point. Uh, and I actually like a lot of her ideas and beliefs. Ever since she came into Congress, I would say she's become a better spokesman for herself. She's been able to stand on her own two feet well, especially when you watch that interview with Tim Pool. She sounded like very she was very articulate she sounded a sane individual just a concerned citizen and i respect that about her and like i said a moment ago i actually agree with a lot of the things that she has to say mainly because she's like on that maga train that maga conservative where pretty much i would say that's where i'm at at this point um which is not which is not the traditional conservative is more of the right wing at this point so um, I know. I noticed you gave yourself a little cushion there, so don't worry, Ryan. I will go ahead and remove that cushion for you, or at least I'll put this on myself and say, like, if you have a problem with Marjorie Taylor Greene, you don't have to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> now, all that put aside, I think it's hilarious that they're using the 14th Amendment that something that was used against the South, more or less, and the secessionists, that they're using this to justify trying to take her off the ballot. And this is a term that I used last week, and this is a term that you you actually introduced to me, Ryan. This is what we would call the Pokemon evolution of cancel culture. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. Um, and it boggles my mind, and I said this last week too, that this it boggles my mind that it even got to this point. It shouldn't have gotten this point because even before this lawsuit took place, she was never questioned at any point during her time in Congress about her involvement with January 6th. As a matter of fact, she's probably more truthful about the events of January 6th and what happened from her experience than AOC, without a doubt. She's much more trustworthy and more truthful in that matter. But I'm also not going to go ahead and suggest that because she challenged the election results, that she's, that's somehow contributing to the quote-unquote insurrection, which that's where you and I agree on that it definitely wasn't an insurrection. We had disagreements on the whether or not I was a right or not. You can make the argument that maybe I was, maybe I've become too desensitized. Is that the right word? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, uh, desensitized. Yep. Desensitized based on what happened the summer of 2020. Um, well, and so, that's the key. If we're going to play these semantic games and you're going to say yeah. fiery but mostly peaceful, then there was far, far less damage done to the Capitol than the $2 billion that was done over the summer through Black Lives Matter riots. And, and, which I'll go ahead and say this, and I thought about writing for Congress, but I guess if that's this is the direction the left is going to try to go in now, I guess I would be considered an extra insurrectionist by uh, their standard because I, I don't necessarily support 
the people who marched in, and stormed into the Capitol in the sense of uh, my biggest cr- criticism of them at the time was they had no end goal. You got into the Capitol building. Now we're trying to accomplish. They literally just walked in there and pure based on whether it was just walking, whether it was the officers just letting the people walk in or they stormed in based on emotion like that uh, veteran that you mentioned that died just by crawling over that window. Um, it was really more emotional based than anything. There was like no logic. And for insurrection to occur, there has to be some logic and planning, I would imagine, to take place for an actual insurrection to be successful or even a coup to, att- to be attempted anyway. So that's so the fact that she she was never even questioned during her entire time of Congress up until the midterm election that's coming up, that tells you this is completely an attempt to get rid of her because, like you said, they know they can't win in that district. That district, they absolutely love her. And the reason why they love her is because she actually tries to represent them. She actually has them in mind when she votes while she's in Congress or when she's talking and debating with people in Congress, she's having, she's having that voter's perspective rather than having an elitist perspective of, Oh, I'm an, I'm a member of Congress. Now I make up my own rules. I'm going to head past legislation and go ahead and tap myself on the shoulder for passing this $2 billion bloated stimulus package. Let's go ahead and cause the American taxpayer more money. <laughs> she's not like that. And that's why they absolutely hate it. Hate her for that. So, um, I saw bits and pieces of the, uh, trial personally. I think I watched like 20 minutes of it. There's like some clips where it had like bigger chunks of it. And I saw some of the questioning and some of the questions they asked were just absolutely stupid. I don't yeah. remember anyone of any of them off the top of my head, but I remember watching the trial and well, first and foremost, I was surprised they actually televised the trial. Um, normally that doesn't get televised. It seems like they're trying to televise more of these court uh, hearings than they used to, which I have mixed feelings about that. That can be good for transparency, but also can be bad for the cases of, let's say, Officer Derek Chauvin, where you can make the argument he didn't get a fair trial because there's so much media coverage and there was some, uh, nice way to put it, peer pressure from the outside to convict him of all charges at that time. Well, it's, it's definitely bad press for Marjorie Taylor Greene. So, like, I feel like how long and boring the trial is, so few people are going to watch the whole thing, which means you still probably get the media-biased framing, and they also get to constantly report. They get to cut out of context whatever they want to if they want to do that. So, like, I really feel like it's a win for them because they give this illusion of transparency. Most people are ultimately probably going to rely on the reporting of the report, not the actual source material, and it's definitely bad press for her. Um, so if, go ahead. if they frame it that way, I'm actually going to go ahead and push back a little bit on this because I think we're at a point, we're at a crosswords in American society and culture where we really don't have a, we don't have that trust anymore with the mainstream or legacy media at this point. That social contract that you brought up earlier, as far as the convicted felons and everything like that, uh, that social contract has been broken with the legacy media, so that trust is no longer there. So I think if anything, if this trial is actually going to hurt her now, excuse me, is actually going to help her case to win re-election. Not that she needed that, uh, but this, this is just adding gas to the flames already that she's going to win, and now this is going to even motivate 
even more voters to come out and vote for the midterms for her. And actually probably across the country, because I would imagine even more moderate Democrats are going to look at this scenario and they're going to think this is effed up. Like no person that should not be on trial to remove their name off the ballot for a crime they did not commit, but purely ideologically based. That's all this is. This is a purely ideological trial. It is. And it kind of gets, and it's almost like, I mean, we joke around like the Pokemon evolution of cancel culture, but this is an evolution of cancel culture, what we're seeing right now. And if they can successfully take her name off the ballot, that gets us a step closer to the social credit system in China, where you have to be very careful what you have to say. You have to be very careful what your actions uh, do, if you will. Uh, because anything the government or the elite deem to be deplorable, per se, you can lose social credit points. And be- when you lose social credit points, the smaller your social credit score is, the less access to freedoms you have or less access to uh, resources you have. Because the government doesn't trust you to obey them and follow the narrative or follow the ideology that they deem to be appropriate. So this is kind of this is kind of a scary moment in American history, but it should be an awakening. It should. For, it should be an awakening. It's not. For, <laughs> it's, well, it's not for the people that are already uh, dug in their heels on one end of one end or the other. That's true. But for like the people who are like who's still looking for that middle ground, or like they're undecided still. They're going to see this and they're not going to be they're going to be repulsed, if anything, that this is happening to a member of Congress just for the sole fact of her ideology. That's it. Yeah. Um, If it weren't for her, if you know, if she would have committed a crime like Hillary Clinton, as a matter of fact, let me take that. Let me take it back. Hillary Clinton has there's more reasons to have Hillary Clinton on trial than Marjorie Taylor Greene by far. Let's just be real. Joe Biden has more reasons to be put on trial than Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hunter Biden has more reasons to be on trial than Marjorie Taylor Greene. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, nah, she doesn't get a pass because she actually challenged the election results because how dare someone question the validity of the election results from 2020? How dare someone do that? But because of that, we're going to go ahead and try to take her name off the ballot and put her on trial as a result of that. Well, and and let's let's uh, let's run with that thought for a second. It's pretty dang hypocritical to be not just doing everything you just mentioned, but to be saying that to to go through the legal process of challenging the election through the system that was established by the Constitution to have checks and balances on our government and to have transparency. That is now called and conflated with rejecting democracy and you know the peaceful transition of power and yet you bring up Hillary Clinton four years before that we had the lie the overt lie that Trump was colluding with Russia and that was pushed through the media it was pushed through the establishment media which just is a rotation of Democrats who are in office, they go work at one of the establishment medias and then they go back. We see that with Jen Psaki right now. We see that with um, other individuals who are supposed to be the 
unbiased journalists who just keep going back and forth between Democratic legislators and their administrations and then the media. So they become one and the same, but they perpetuate this lie using the Steele dossier, which was proven now, actually for a while now, to be false information. We see that the Clinton campaign and President Obama were illegally spying on the sitting president of the United States. None of that comes out, and yet everybody can say, not my president, everybody can talk about how Trump is a Putin's puppet, blah, blah, blah. None of that is considered a threat coming from the systems, right? The media pushing the lie. None of that is considered a threat. But when the senators do what they have the power to do being elected and challenge it, like you can even say, maybe that wasn't a great idea. Maybe there wasn't a basis for that. Like just arguably, I know you disagree with that, Ken, but like arguably you could say that wasn't a good call, blah, blah, blah. They still have the power to do it at the end of the day. And like even for 2006, saw electors doing this just not as many um, and that was against trump none of those legislators who were democrats at the time faced the same scrutiny the trials blah 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 that marjorie taylor green is doing so like that really supports your point there well really quickly i know you brought up the election results and everything like that i've always maintained this position i definitely think some massive voter fraud took place i do not know though whether or not that would have changed the outcome um I think that's where you and I disagree a little bit. Like, you don't think a lot took place. I think a lot took place, but I but will not going to know you. if they shove that yeah. down, you know, that's yeah. what we can agree on you yeah. and I, at least. Yeah. You and I can at least agree. Like we don't know if, whether or not, regardless of how many, how big or how little the, well, if it was big, we can at least acknowledge and agree that we don't know if the re- election results were completely hundred percent honest, no election fraud allegations whatsoever. We don't know if Joe Biden would have still won or not. But we can agree that Joe Biden didn't win fair and square at the very least. Um, And I definitely would say that the results were compromised at the very least. But is that enough? Is me saying all this enough to bar me from running for re-election? And forget the fact that let's say they don't succeed. They still win at the end of the day because they actually managed to convince a court system to put someone on trial based on ideology purely. That's it. Not on actual crimes she committed, but based on ideology. So this is an example of, as Jordan Peterson puts it, a – when someone loses their freedom inch by inch, you give it it one little step and then you, you raise hell about it for a little bit. Then you let it go for a little bit. And then they decide to go ahead and take another step to encringe, to encringe, or what's the word? Encroach. Encroach, sorry. Encroach. (laughs) Yeah. You you understand what I was trying to say. Encroach more on your freedom. And in this case, it is freedom of speech that's being under attack. Well, even freedom to do your duty. Like, you can disagree with her. If you're you're not a Republican and if you're not a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're probably going to disagree with what she says. And now you're raising a very important point, Ken, of are we being ideologically consistent or are we allowing that ideology or what you believe or what you prefer even? Are you letting the ends justify the means? Like, maybe you dislike her. Maybe you want her removed. Do you want the standard to be whatever the hell I can trump up and happen to ram through because the courts heard it? Is that the standard we want? And I've actually got something that I I want to ask because I know a lot of my listeners disagree 
with my points, at least at times. I don't know <laughs> how consistent yours are with what you believe, but I do want to ask, if you disagree with what I'm saying, you disagree with my support, what I want to ask you as that listener is what is our standard going to be then? Because I want to lay out some examples of times that these types of storming of the capitals have happened from the Democrats, and it's only now that they're worried about it. So for example, in 2018, you had the Sunrise Movement, which is a far left movement that is all about climate change. And they stormed the Capitol and barged into Nancy Pelosi's office. And she praised them at the time, basically saying, ah, oh, we really should be doing more for the climate. Like your voices have been heard, blah, blah, blah. But they stormed the Capitol. You could argue, sure, that, you know, there were there were more violent instances on the January 6th storming than in that one. So then let's take a look at in 2011 when the Democrats violently stormed and at that point, if I'm not mistaken, illegally occupied the capital of Wisconsin. So the, the in Madison, you had the Democrats basically, it was a mob of them who occupied it for, I'm pretty sure it was several days. Um, Let's see. They were opposing Governor Wake, uh, Walker's bill. 70,000 to 100,000 people stormed, and then they basically like commandeered that, that entire capital in protest. And that was not entirely peaceful either. So what I want to ask you then is, if you were okay with that then, and you were okay with the Sunrise Movement storming Nancy Pelosi's office and basically coming in and illegally trespassing, let's say at that point, like, let, let's say that, that it's over. I know it's not a perfect connection. It's all good. Maybe you all were not as aware of that until I just brought that up. And you can, by all means, dig into all of the details there. Maybe you think that that's a false comparison and that's not entirely honest. But here's where I think that it's an honest comparison. They aren't charging them of violence. They're charging them with trespassing. The people who are on trial right now are charged with vandalism and trespassing. That is the same at minimum of what happened in these two instances. There was trespassing and at times there was vandalism and there was illegal occupation. We did not see the attempt to disqualify any of the Democrats who let those people into those offices. We did not see Nancy Pelosi be stopped from running for her 100th term of reelection <laughs> to to prevent that from happening. We saw nothing of this. It was a minimal story at best. Uh, we certainly did not see the courts become involved in this instance. And quite frankly, if the Republicans had tried to go after this, we would have been seeing people saying, ah, oh, Republicans pounce on this opportunity to like, you know, slander the Democrats and like trump up all these charges, pun intended in that instance. Like, I, I just, I want to ask you then, are you in support of what's happening to Marjorie Taylor Greene because you truly believe that the evidence is there for an insurrection, that she truly aided and abetted an actual assault, insurrection style, rising up against the government, or are you going along with this because it suits what you want for your end goal? And like that's a serious question. And I, I think that the the issue that I'm seeing here is that maybe the evidence is there that these people we're closer to an insurrection, but they are not being charged with it. And that evidence has not been produced yet. So what the, what the Democrats and the individuals in the court who are allowing this to go through 
are committing is the logical fallacy of begging the question. Can I talk about this? I think it was the last time I was on the show with you. It's basically they assume the premise to be true. And they so in this case, they're assuming without evidence that there was an insurrection. And then they create this like circular logic of, well, there was an insurrection. So these people can't run for office and these people can't run for office because they were involved in an insurrection. There is no evidence being produced that it was an insurrection. They're saying these people are guilty. Apply the 14th Amendment, Section 3, stop them from running. Challenging the election results is now conflated with holding the throat or uh, holding the, excuse me, I, I'm talking like Biden now giving his quote, <laughs> holding, holding a knife to the throat of democracy, blah, blah, blah. It was a legal challenge. Not, not the, not the riots, the Republicans who challenged the election results. It was a legal process. They had the right to do. And if they didn't produce the evidence for that, which quite frankly, I don't really think they've produced the evidence for that yet. That is no different than the lack of evidence that's produced right now. So really, I am trying to be ideologically consistent here. If you're going to challenge the results, produce produce the evidence. If you're going to charge someone with an insurrection, produce the evidence or stop calling it that. Stop being intellectually dishonest. Stop capitalizing on something because it gets you to your political end goal. What can this goes back to your point you made a second ago? If you are allowing the government to strip away the right of Marjorie Taylor Greene without the evidence to run for office, for re-election, because you disagree with her, you are one of the people who is allowing the encroachment on our constitutional rights, on our freedoms, on actual democracy. To me, that is the greater threat to democracy, although we are a republic, we are not a true democracy. I'm going to make that distinction time and time again. (laughs) But the free and fair elections are not truly free and fair if you're bringing literally trumped up results to try and stop Marjorie Taylor Greene to like they're literally trying to get rid of all of the sitting Republicans on charges that they allowed this to happen, that they conspired. If they do it with Marjorie Taylor Greene, they'll do it with Trump. So like if your solution to having a free and fair election is to prevent people from running because you're worried about their ideas then you're probably going to disagree with me on where we go with our Twitter segments here. And you don't think that free speech or people need to be able to make their own decisions. Like free speech should not be a thing. Well, I'll venture to say it's kind of hard to be charged with an insurrection when you're one of the people that actually had to be evacuated to be away from the crowd. That's (laughs) that's true. (laughs) I mean, they, they were, yes. Had to be evacuated, so it's not like Marjorie Taylor Greene was right there with her sword up going, charge! Uh, it wasn't like anything like that, so it's kind of hard to be part of an insurrection or <laughs> be being considered an insurrectionist when you actually were one of the people that had to be evacuated for safety purposes. So there's that. Um, it's I think it's just more concerning for me, the willingness of – we have judges in our system right now that is willing to put people on trial – trial based on ideology i think that's concerning that's, for yes. me. i i can but, agree with that and i think the fact that she there's a there are judges right now that will look at her and look at her track record politically speaking and her ideology her beliefs which she's pretty blunt about her beliefs it's, she doesn't really sugarcoat it. she's she's like you said a moment earlier uh she's in that trump train where trump's very blunt with, with his slots i would venture to say she's probably i think she's gotten better with the press 
as she spent more time in Congress, uh, I think she really you really see her bloom and seeing the evolution of her growth as a Congress member when she go goes on Tim Pool, which um, Ryan, I don't know about you, but I was pretty impressed with what I saw with her on that interview. Um, but other than that, though, I agree. Yeah. Other than that, though, it's uh, I don't know if because if let's say the hypothetical this kind of gets into hypothetical little sure. conspiracy and everything like that. And I guess by this standard, uh, I probably will not be running for Congress anytime soon. This will probably be <laughs> used against me. But let's say they actually successfully remove her name off the ballot. Yes. Do we have a republic anymore at that point? If you're stripping away the people's will to in her district to re- have her represent them, you strip that away just because you don't agree with her ideology, which really represents, which is really the ideology that she's representing from her county in Georgia. Do we really have a system by the people anymore at that point, or is it just by name that we're a republic? In which and I made this point last week. Um, if that were the case, I think that is an act of war, legally speaking. It's an act of war. Um, but I would venture to say, like, it's a re- another reason why I would venture to say I think it's time for America to not be the United States of America anymore. I don't want to take part in a government that doesn't want to represent me or doesn't allow me to vote in people that will, I believe will represent my beliefs and my you know, the concerns of our district in Florida, for example, at that point, if that's, if they succeed in doing that, I think you've just given actual, you've given a reason and more ammo for people to be fired up to not only heat up the conversations of secession, perhaps, but potentially a civil war even. And I, and when I say these things, I don't take it, I don't say it lightheartedly either. Um, this is a very serious situation we have going on here, and I think this is not getting enough um, conservative media coverage. Surprisingly, I'm not. I'm surprised that not many conservative outlets are talking about this war. But if they successfully do this, I mean, what's the point of keeping all 50 states together anymore? If that's the case, why bother trying to negotiate with uh, other people in these other? politicians, if you will, that have no interest in allowing the people to put in people they want to represent. They're clearly in it for themselves at that point. They have their own agenda. They don't care about us anymore. Are we really the United States of America anymore? Are we really a republic anymore? So those are like the thoughts that come through my mind I kind of brought up last week, um, which when you think about the revolution, when you think about the Civil War, when you think about any war period, Before the war, there was a lot of petitioning through the legal process before war actually broke out. When you look at the founding fathers, they petitioned the – I mean the Declaration of Independence is literally a list. After like the first paragraph, it's basically a list why they decided to go ahead and break away from the British. And and the list explains like they petition after petition after petition. They've been ignored, ignored repeatedly. And this case, same thing with the Civil War or after – Many compromises and legal petitions to avoid a civil war. Civil war broke out. Obviously, the core issue was slavery. That was, you know, that was the core issue that concerned state rights in particular. And so 
in this scenario, this is no scenario where we're petitioning the federal government, going through the legal process. Marjorie Taylor Greene, to her credit, she's participating. She's playing their. She's like, you know what? I'll play your game. I'll win, or I have nothing to hide anyway. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, you know, knock on wood. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if um, you know, she's playing along with their games, and again, if they manage to successfully go ahead and remove her name off the ballot. Do we have a republic at that point? Is it worth keeping all 50 states together at that point? Personally, I would say no. And I'm already at that point, actually. Where <laughs> sure. But I'm in favor of secession, personally. And, I don't, and like <laughs> I said, based on today's standard, based on the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene is being uh, put on trial, I guess I don't qualify to run for Congress anytime soon. So, <laughs> Well, if you're in favor of secession, you definitely won't. <laughs> no, I've, I guess I don't qualify anytime soon. <laughs> okay, so... I, I think you raise an important point here because I really – we've always been, you know, we've had our ideological differences as a country. But here's the – I'm going to bring back that final Pokemon evolution form analogy here. We started with either government or corporation oversight telling people – in the subtext, you are too stupid to be able to distinguish misinformation, <laughs> disinformation from truth. Therefore, we're going to suppress this. Couple that with – and I'll really dive deep into this and go off when we get to our next segment. But coupled with this idea that you know, you've know you got not all speech is equal because everybody's different. And so for equity, we have to censor so that the white males don't get to dominate. And yet, you know, <laughs> remove Ryan from his podcast. Like that type of an idea – Saying that you know I the those people are suppressed even though they make millions of dollars a year and they can't you know live their lives completely free from dissent and that's their standard for you know free speech is it's free speech that they agree with that's been approved etc. And we started there Twitter and we'll get there in a moment, but now we're not only seeing news cycles be suppressed, Hunter Biden's story, for example, being suppressed, um, the Steele dossier being false, it's not reported on, uh, the Clintons and the, the Clinton Foundation and like Barack Obama and them, you know, actual evidence coming out that they illegally spied on the sitting president of the United States, that they've operationalized these institutional tools to benefit themselves and their campaigns, which is corrupt and not allowed. Those are suppressed, and now we see ballots being suppressed. So there's the point I'm getting to. We started with, you can't distinguish the difference, and we can't stop it from getting out, so we suppress free speech. Here we see, you should not be allowed to be popular and be reelected because we can't beat you. We might not be able to bring any evidence to support how you're an insurrectionist, how you are a seditionist, how you are a traitor to this country, but like you mentioned, Ken, you are an ideological threat. You you say things that harm me, and we equate speech with violence. Like it's no coincidence these things all go hand in hand. They're using it to, in this instance, this is not not conspiracy. This is fact. They in this instance are using it. In a federal court to try to stop someone from running for re-election with zero evidence to actual legal cause to stop that. 
So to answer your question, Ken, I really don't think that we can claim free and fair elections when the left is losing the polls. And so then they cheat in this way. And I say cheat because they are rigging the results because they can't win at the polls. So they stop someone from running that's very popular because they know, I'll say it again, they can't stop her in the election so they stop her from participating in the election. So no, I don't think we can call it a representative republic when are, we're preventing people from running who are, by all legal rules, able to do so. You're making that claim right now despite the results, or you're saying in case they actually succeed take removing her name off the ballot, you don't think we're a republic anymore? I'm saying that if they succeed in doing that, I think you have a very difficult time convincing me we live in an actual republic where I can vote for a candidate because you've suppressed them. Um, even right now, though, I would say that the fact that the left is in favor of this, I'm not saying every, you know, I'm sure that who are on the left or who are more Democrat that listen. Marcel just left the chat. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. Marcelo might come up with a reason um, and, and there's certainly some pushback as to, you know, the technicalities in the law, and that's fine. In fact, if I got TJ or David McConnell on here, who's a little bit more versed as law students, there might be some legal cause, but that's not what's being presented. And to me, that's the issue. Like, I don't care if there's a reason she can be, be removed. It hasn't been presented. And if your case is only ideological, like you mentioned, Ken, you don't have a case. Like your case is literally founded on the idea that what she says is dangerous, which forget disagreement, forget parties. You're telling me by supporting this, then you're really going to tell me that the problem here is that she says things you dislike. She votes a different way. That's why she's in a different party. Like, no shit. Of course she's going to vote a different way <laughs> and you're going to disagree with her. That's not the question. We're not even questioning. Remove from your mind for a moment the idea that what she says is good, bad, dangerous, not. Is she legally falling under something that allows the 14th Amendment to disqualify her? That is the one and only question at stake on this trial. And the evidence does not demonstrate that. So like case dismissed, class dismissed, you it's a whole other discussion to talk about are her ideas good or bad? That's why I didn't even dive into that because it's irrelevant. Someone who is not legally prevented through evidence is the attempt and attack is on her being able to run for reelection with no grounds that have factual basis. Well, maybe she just needs to hit up Elon Musk, and Elon Musk can <laughs> buy out the judges and everything like that, which that actually— sounds like bribery. I'm not going to condone that. <laughs> uh, but it does lead into our next story, which we'll get into, folks, after this break. Stay tuned. It's important to the fun function of democracy. Um, it's important to the function of— uh, the United States. No matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms. We have just established 
uh, Mis- and Disinformation Governance Board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively um, combat uh, this threat, not only to election security, uh, but to our homeland security. We are disseminating information uh, to the secretaries of state. We are counseling them and providing resources to ensure uh, better physical security. We are uh, addressing all aspects of election security, um, given, of course, the midterm elections that are upon us and the fundamental uh, integrity of our democratic processes that is at stake. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, the great Ken Drew. I'm with my friend, Ryan Gug from Between the Lives. Ryan, believe me, it was a fantastic break. How was your break, my friend? It was so good. <laughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Trump impersonation. Could you tell? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> um. I've had plenty of practice with my Donald Trump impersonations, um, which you would call it. It's uh, it's fun. I was going to try to do like a – do you watch South Park? Have you seen South Park? I've seen episodes. Oh, the – their uh, Christmas character, the piece of crap, the turd, you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, that's a classic. Well – I was thinking about like impersonating that voice, but then I thought, nah, that, I could get, you know, copyright laws on me with that. So it's like, <laughs> not gonna go ahead and venture with that. I do know, uh, you've seen Spider Verse, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So like, I, I had a moment just like that, uh, pig spider where he makes like, see you later, folks. Like the <laughs> pig from the Looney Tunes series. Like, is that Arky Pig? It, yeah, <laughs> it's like if. As he's like drifting away back into his world, he's like, "Isn't that a copyright violation?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if I if I could do a better Elon Musk impression, I would have talked about bringing your Trump impression back onto Twitter. But uh, alas, I I'm pretty mad at my Elon Musk impression. <laughs> you know, I don't think I could do an Elon Musk impression impression either. But that does get into the last two stories we have today, which. Uh, last three stories actually have to do with free speech, but we have some developments. I know this is like the third or fourth week I've touched the Elon Musk story, but there's just been something new happening every single week that, I mean, this is the biggest deal, I think, in American politics. Well, one of the bigger things in American politics. I think the Roger Taylor Green story is a bigger story, my perspective, but um, this one has definitely caused some, in Ben Shapiro's words, leftist tears drop. Uh, for the first time since the election results of 2016, perhaps. So, Ryan, would you please take the take do the honors and give us the story for today for this last segment? All right. If you did not know, you're probably living under a hole. Uh, but <laughs> Elon Musk has bought Twitter under a rock. That would have been better. Uh, but Elon Musk has he's he's officially in the process now of buying Twitter. That deal is going through for something to the tune of like forty four point something billion dollars with a B. And uh, if you didn't follow this story, I'll give you the brief summary. Basically, Elon Musk became the largest shareholder with like nine percent of Twitter stocks, and then he was supposed to be given a seat on the board. The board basically had a stipulation that said if you're going to be on the board 
the big thing for him that was a turnoff was he could not own more than like 11% of the company. And he really wasn't going to be able to affect all of that change that he wanted to, or had at least talked about toying with. He would have kind of just been bought as a puppet by them. You know, Hey, you get a <laughs> Anakin Skywalker. You're, you're, you're granted a seat on this <laughs> council, but we don't grant you the rank of master, right? He wouldn't have been able to. That's actually, a good analogy. Thank you. Uh, very performative. It's like the Queen of England, right? You you hold a higher position, but you don't do a whole lot of effective change that you might want. So anyway, he was like, no, nope, that's okay. I'm good. And there was a lot of speculation. You see, he's like, he he did hint at and even state, you know, maybe I should just buy Twitter. And so we were wondering, you know, is Elon Musk going to buy Twitter? And then he did. Uh, <laughs> so he offered a, a pretty solid ability above like the the worth of twitter per share like there's there's gonna be a nice hefty uh benefit for the people who were owning twitter shares that he he bought them from so uh the board was willing to sell at i think it's like 54 or something a, a share i think it's like 54 a share yeah something like that we'll, we'll round to 54 four dollars not 54 billion dollars oh share. yeah yeah 54 dollars <laughs> per share which comes out to about 44 billion and change you know cheap change and by change i mean like millions <laughs> so Ten bucks for elon though <laughs> bottom line here elon musk has openly stated twitter is the modern public square and he thinks and he stated this in a recent i can't remember if it was ted talk or at just a press conference but he stated that he thinks that the rules of twitter should fall more in line with the the laws of the land and if you dislike how that plays out then we change the laws of the land we don't just ban censor shadow ban basically saying free speech should be the the law of the land and he actually wasn't even arguing for like unfettered free speech like you know you can allow harassment and you can allow all these other things that people are like oh no he's he's in favor of this not the case he's saying your right to differ to have discourse in the modern public square that he believes is Twitter that needs to be protected. And so he's coming through and I I hope he cleans house. I personally, I really hope because so many people are coming out saying how they're going to sabotage. Like even Twitter had to lock down like their, their major coding controls so that they, the, the employees couldn't sabotage to an extent. I don't exactly know how that played out, but is that where the whole learn to code comes from, by the way? I actually don't know where that comes from. <laughs> okay, that's not I, just me. I don't, it, I don't get that either. Um, I know that, that that was said to be like more of like a right wing talking point. That was um, that was actually something that was getting people banned or shut down on Twitter if they even like had that and weren't even like tweeting that at anyone in particular. But um, I don't know enough on that to comment. But what I do know enough to comment at least a little bit on is that like the actual keys to the castle have kind of been pulled away from the employees a little bit to where like only certain emergency things can be enacted because um, they like Elon Musk, I'm sure, is planning on coming through and cleaning house um, as he should, as any CEO does when they take over a company, you want people who are going to be aligned with your values, who are not going to try to sabotage you every step of the way, who are not going to undercut you. And that doesn't mean that they can't dissent uh, because of course he, you know, from the way he talks again, this is me taking him at face value. I believe 
he is fine with people who openly criticize him. What I don't think you should tolerate as a CEO is allowing your employees to openly sabotage. So for example, if he says we want people to be able to speak their minds within these parameters, having employees that have been and will likely continue to censor and downgrade traffic is probably not in your best interest as you try to revamp and rebuild both the program and the trust, in my opinion. I will say, like I, to add on to what you say, like you think he's going to clean the house. Like he has hinted he's going to clean the house was through Twitter. Uh, there's like one tweet that I saw uh, that stated where some of the, one of the employers or employees, excuse me, was concerned that you know their part-time jobs are like two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. They're going to lose their seats as board members as because Elon Musk is going to come take over. And which Elon Musk said. Basically confirmed is like, yeah, you're right. Start packing. No one's going to get paid. <laughs> you're not going to get paid if you're going to be on a board member, um, especially considering that you are you don't represent the values that I believe in. So that's fair for anyone who's trying to come over and take over a company, which I I have to admit, I got Twitter because of him. And I think I said it earlier in the show. Like I got you can follow me at Kenjin Express and. Brian, you actually have your own Twitter account too, called Between the Liars. Uh, nice yeah. plug-in, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seamless. I love it. Yeah, but um, with that said, though, I with this though, I have to say, um, Elon Musk, and I think I'm going to make an article about this, make an episode like scrutinizing Elon Musk. I will take him at face value when it comes to free speech. And I'm cautiously optimistic he's going to follow through. And I think anyone who is willing to lose 20% of his net worth to, towards a company, towards a failing company, mind you, Twitter, uh, the big tech platforms that are available, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, uh, Twitter is by far the smallest platform out of all of them. So Twitter was already small. And it was failing, heading downward spiral because of the things you mentioned, the censorship, suppressing of speech, stories like Hunter Biden and taking the 45th president out, you know, stuff of that nature really turned people off away from Twitter. And that's why they started downloading at least the more moderate liberals and you know conservatives out there. They went to other platforms, but they didn't have to worry about that kind of moderation of speech. Like Truth Social or Parlor or, um, shoot, even some Reddit accounts, which even that's being debated as I got booted off. At least one of my posts got booted off, even a conservative subreddit post for having the air quote wrong opinion, but I digress. Um, so I agree with you, and I will take Elon Musk at face value, and I do consider him to be an ally of free speech at least. And I think as far as uh, you know it's a failing company when one of the co-founders, Jack Dorsey, is endorsing this purchase and speaking out against the board members and the direction. To me, it's almost as if Jack Dorsey is seeing his own company that he started and he wants to make sure it's in good hands. Like He doesn't want to leave it in hands where people are going to go ahead and practice policies that he doesn't even agree with, but he's pressured to abide by them because – certain policies and according to Jack Dorsey apparently some government and government institutions have pressured him to go ahead and moderate speech as well which you know uh, kind of gets into Trump's lawsuit 
concerning big tech and the government involvement with that. But uh, you know it's a failing business when the co-founders is calling you out on it as well. So all of that said, I don't know about you and how much how active you've been on Twitter, but I've been having a blast on Twitter. I never thought I would say that about Twitter. Twitter is actually a free-for-all sort of right now. At least for the conservatives, the conservatives have all been released. The cage has been opened. Elon Musk just went ahead and released all the zoo animals out of their cages and everything like that. And uh, it's fun. And to be honest, I mean, I have accounts like Truth Social, Parlor, uh, but... Twitter is probably the most fun right now out of all the social media platforms, especially how savage Elon Musk is being right now. And he's taking full, full blown advantage of the fact that he's basically, this is his new baby. Now this is his new toy that he's played around with. And I'm sure you've seen some of his tweets where he's just completely roasting the left. And it's almost allowing people, it's almost giving the green sign again for people to say, Oh, we can make fun of the extremists again on the left. Oh, we can make fun of the extremists. It's not just us anymore. We can actually make fun of them now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, personally so far, he is an ally from what I've seen through his actions, not, not just through his words, but through his actions so far. And, um, he has re- there's some Twitter accounts that have been reinstated, such as Tucker Carlson, uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, his account got reinstated, believe it or not. Uh, so that by itself is already a 100% improvement from where we were at a week ago with Twitter. Uh, do I think Twitter is going to compete with the other social media platforms as far as the big three, Instagram and Facebook? Uh, I would say yes. I actually think Twitter is actually going to become the new major platform people go to, at least between those three companies, mainly because Elon Musk has that mindset. This is supposed to, Twitter is supposed to be is going to be a politically neutral platform for everybody. According and the only violations people can possibly make is what's already written in the law books, at least in American law books, which um, I notice that well first and foremost, we have to mention that he's not an American. Um, he's a South African, actually. And, well, I don't know if he actually got a citizenship, so forgive me if I missed that part, but you get the idea. Um, I noticed that people who come from countries outside of America, they have a greater appreciation for what we have here ingrained in our Constitution than your uh, typical spoiled American that grew up in the continental or the island or Alaska per se that grew up with in the American dream, especially the people at the board members, they're probably, uh, they're probably homegrown Americans versus Elon. So to an extent, I'm glad he's taken over because of the fact he, but because of the fact he's not an American, because I think right now we're seeing a more, at least the pattern seems to be these days, is that the immigrants that come here legally, um, notice I said legally, uh, <laughs> legally come here, they have a greater respect for the laws we have in place and they have a greater respect for our constitution as a result. I think one of the things that uh, kind of stems off of that, right, they have probably a greater appreciation for the First Amendment and free speech. And Elon Musk did point out that look at the people who are melting down over him 
buying the company. Look at what they stand for. Look at what they tweet. A lot of it can be boiled down to this idea. We love free speech just as long as it aligns with what we say, what we believe, and doesn't challenge us or make us uncomfortable. Those are the people who are upset at this. So <laughs> uh, it's always you know a great time when someone like Sonny Hostin says that Twitter is for straight white men to have free speech and <laughs> says that Elon Musk wants to go back to the good old days. Literally, I think it was her. It was either her or uh, somebody from The View. Uh, Obama says something like, like, I want to go back to the good old days of just using ABC, CBS, something along those lines. No, it was it was actually – well, first of all, you had a Saturday Night Live sketch where they were like uh, – the, the quote-unquote comedian, I use that term loosely here, said <laughs> that this just demonstrates the amount of money somebody will put so that they can just say the N-word on Twitter. And I'm like, that's not even what he's about. Uh, he he's not advocating for that. Like, and, and for example, some of the like Twitter Twitter executives, um, I think her name is pronounced uh, Vijaya Gotti, Gotti, uh, but she's one of the top executives. I think she makes like nineteen million dollars a year, and she is saying that she receives so much hate and talks about how she as a woman has to think about what's she going to deal with that she says certain things that people might disagree with and how she's already dealing with all of this brings it all back to the intersectional power struggles and how you know despite the fact she makes 19 million dollars she is oppressed despite the fact she is the one leading the charge as the head of censorship for this company kicking people like <laughs> donald trump and Tucker carlson off of the platform She's the one in this instance who claims she's oppressed and she is worried that, you know, it's basically it's it's going to go back to the days when people might have actually been able to engage in free speech. <laughs> like, and, and, and this this is what blows my mind. The left. When conservatives were like, we're being censored, this is not right. They basically said, find another platform. And they get so enraged when somebody says to them now, find another platform. Uh, if you if you have a, a an issue with with the, with not even like them being censored, just free speech discourse taking place, find another platform. And again, they conflate free speech for them means free speech within certain bounds, certain protections, and those protections are rules they get to set. And those protections and rules that they have set is. You basically assault me with your words through Twitter. Silence is violence. Words are violence. You disagree or challenge my worldview. And so that speech cannot be allowed because that's hate speech. Do you, do you see the conflation that's taking place here? We went from something like um, Vijay Gaudi raised the issue that like – and this this is serious. This is problematic. There have been people who threatened her with death threats, who threatened to rape her. Like, that's assault. That is still punishable by the law of the land under the U.S. law. So, of course, under Elon Musk's definition, he's not going to allow that. He's not going to advocate for just complete and utter free reign. Hate speech, genuine hate speech. Like, think anti-Semitic. For sure. Let's, for just, let's make it more Twitter-specific. Child pornography. That's on child not pornography is another great example of things that should be censored because they don't fall under free speech. And yet the 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 
charge for free speech or for um, hate speech, that is leveled at someone who disagrees. Like Babylon B's account was shut down because they said, and they're a satire site if, if people aren't aware of that. Babylon B is <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, but what they said in this particular tweet was that, um, I think it was Rachel Levine, who is a transgender woman. Yeah. So a biological man transitioned to a woman is way up there in the Biden administration for like health and all of that. They said that, and, and again, this is being satire. They said that their pick for man of the year is Rachel Levine. And so because they said that he is a biological man, which is factual, their account was suspended because of hate speech. So th this is what they are selectively enforcing is it's it doesn't align with their narrative. It doesn't align with what they think is true. And so because they hold the levers of power, despite the fact that they're power, they're still the ones who are oppressed. That's kind of what this boils down to is they are saying Elon Musk is a white supremacist, allowing people to disagree with one another. Let's let's call it what it is. They're not no one that I'm aware of, certainly not Elon Musk in this instance, and I myself would also not be in favor of assault, like the, the threatening of assault online, the actual harassment that takes place. But the left selectively applies this. For example, one of the Washington Post reporters doxed the libs of TikTok, which is an anonymous or was an anonymous account on TikTok, which the only thing that this account manager did was they would find publicly available videos. <laughs> pub yeah, publicly available videos, mostly TikToks, some tweets as well, and basically say this is what the left is saying. No commentary, no nothing. This particular account would just put that information out there. And this was so bad in the eye. I forget the, the reporter's name. Um, but she basically tracked down the identity of this person, publicly made their home address, their business address, all of that publicly available. Tracked down the family members of the Libs of TikTok's account manager. Tracked down her family members. Basically got people to go after this person. And yet she says that if you disagree with her online, that is the actual danger. Not the fact that she literally posted this person's address, or their business address at least, where people could go and harass this person who was anonymous, who wasn't even saying anything, was just spreading the words of the leftists on the other side of the algorithm. And this person gets threatened, harassed. It's the double standards for me that's incredibly problematic. So really quickly, since we brought up fat checkers with the transgender woman, yep. I have to fat check you real quickly, Ryan. <clears throat> uh, as <laughs> yeah, far okay, as something you said earlier, as far I forgot to bring this up. Uh, Twitter said they told Elon they had to he had to own at least fifteen percent of the shares in order to boss them around, basically, and that's when they invited him to the board as kind of like a trap 
and then tell them, oh, oh, ha, 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 by the way, you can't own more than 14.9% of the company. So that's something I want to go ahead and fact check you on real quick. Okay. All right. Well, in, in the true <laughs> spirit of fact checking, I mean, the numbers there are not significant, but I, I do appreciate you actually pointing welcome. out. You're welcome. You're welcome, Mr. Know-it-all here, right? <laughs> yeah. My dog's not a purebred Siberian Husky. I get exactly. it. But <laughs> No, no. Point well taken. I appreciate that. Um, I, I really, to me... Let's let's just I, I've brought up the one issue of free speech means that people if you're in favor of discourse and free speech, then that automatically means you're in favor of uh, hate speech and white supremacy. The, that's that's not quite the same thing. We've already covered a lot of that. Let's talk about the fact that everyone's worried that a billionaire. Is purchasing a platform. I, I heard crickets when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Like, yes. we want to talk about how... And literally, the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, is the one doxing libs of TikTok, is the one going after Elon Musk, trying to, like, drum up things that aren't even going to stick as far as legality. For, they're like, oh, he's totally in breach of his contract. It's like, no, it's not. You, you clearly don't know what's going on. Elon Musk oh. is not only smart, smart enough to run very successful businesses like Tesla... Which, uh, you know, I'm told by the Biden administration is what I need to, to switch over to. <laughs> and yet we're going to hate on, yeah, You get where I'm going with that. But the bottom line is the left is only concerned about billionaires when they don't. And, and Elon Musk is not a conservative, but it's when he's in favor of things that allow conservatives to exist. He allows free speeches and in favor of that is not. He literally said the Twitter executives made a mistake by shooting down and suppressing the Washington Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop during the election cycle because the people deserve to know that information. And the executives just decided, no, we don't have the grounds for this. Clearly politically driven. Washington Post goes after him for not even calling the Twitter execs out by name. He just said that was a mistake. And they're like, oh, how dare you dox these people? And yet the Washington Post reporter goes after and doxes meaning drumming up people to go after them, harass them, basically bully them into a position to where they cannot continue what they were doing, allows that to happen. How is that not a double standard? Like, how is it not a double standard to say that, you know, we're fine with Mark Zuckerberg being a billionaire. We're fine with uh, the Disney heiress being a billionaire. We're fine with Jeff Bezos being a billionaire because they agree in lockstep with us and our political ideologies. But as soon as, as, soon as Elon Musk, who's not even a conservative certainly not a Republican, as soon as he comes along and challenges that, then billionaire is very bad. Well, Elon Musk, by today's standard, is a conservative, just like Joe Rogan is, even though by 10 years ago standards, uh, he would be a liberal by far. But um, and that's, that's but, what's concerning <laughs> to me, is that that's not even conservative. Like It is a core American principle that right. the First Amendment allows people to dissent, not only right. to their government, but also from each other. Like that should not be, boom, you must be a, a far right extremist, a QAnon. Like that's not the same thing. No, I'm just for common sense and sanity personally. Um, also, I, I want to touch on the hypocrisy portion because there's been some leftists that have been uh, pointing out the hypocrisy on the right as far as telling people on the left on Twitter they can leave Twitter if they want. Um, I want to point out something that I think distinguishes the difference between a conservative saying they're going to leave the platform versus a leftist leaving a platform. 
the leftists, I see the majority of them still on Twitter. They're not leaving Twitter. The conservatives, when they said they're going to leave, they left. Like, there was no turning back. The only reason why you're seeing a lot of conservatives coming back on Twitter is because a change of leadership position right now. Um, so I just want to quickly point out, since you brought up hypocrisy, I thought it was an interesting point to bring up to add to the layer of conversation a little bit. No, that's that's a great addition. Yeah, and I th- it's like, and that's what conservatives did. They went on, t- they went on, tried different platforms like Parler, Truth Social, uh, Getter. That was the other platform I, was, I, I had a brain fart earlier. But Getter was also another platform conservatives went to as an alternative to go ahead and basically express their sentiments, opinions, or bring up stories they thought were interesting or important that people should know. And I would venture to say even some more moderate liberals probably participated in those platforms because of the censorship that was taking place on Twitter. It was literally the leftists make fun of conservatives going using those platforms and saying, well, it's a right-wing echo chamber. Right. Well, the difference is we're not telling you, we're not telling people who disagree with us they can't join our can't join a conversation on those platforms. Right. The people on Twitter they told us we you cannot have a platform to speak your mind. You cannot participate on our platform. That's the big difference between what happened with conservatives with Twitter versus what's happening now with leftists with Twitter. Well, you're you're exactly right. They don't want a discussion. They don't want a dialogue. They don't want a debate. They want a lecture. Because when you bring up a dissenting opinion, it gets doxxed, it gets brought, it gets shot down, it it's classified as hate speech. And like really, you you water down the definition of racism. You water down the definition of hate speech when you call everything right. It's like in the words of syndrome from the Incredibles, when everything's hate speech, nothing is. Like when every everything, everyone's super, no one is. You're you're just desensitizing people to something that should be a very serious allegation. And I think it was it was either last time or the time before when I was on, and I think it was two times ago. And I talked about how now we've called racism based off of power structures. It only cuts one way. You have to be white in order to have the power to truly be racist. And like that's what they're saying here is that anyone who has enough intersectional boxes checked cannot be oppressed. So in Gaudi's position, even though she makes $17 million a year, even though she's the one who has the power and has led the charge in banning people and preventing them from even participating in this platform, she's still the one who's oppressed. Now, that's not to say that she has not had terrible things said to her. And I would condemn those things that were said as assault and I don't know all of the things, but potentially worse too, right? Like if there are people actually threatening her, especially if they like take it off Twitter and show up to her place, that's bad. And we can agree on that. What I can agree on is that when I disagree with your opinion, that automatically places me in the same category because it doesn't. And again, all the tweets I'm seeing are talking about power structures. Like that's what they're saying, which is oppressive or a good thing. Like they're basically saying, okay, this is a Elon Musk is I don't even I'm pretty sure he's part African American like hereditary wise. South American. I'm definitely I think he comes from South America. South America. South Africa. Truly African in that point. Like not not just um actual in African American. Like actual African American. Then um assuming he is an American too. Uh, you mentioned that earlier, and I was like I actually don't know the answer to that. But bottom line, 
they're saying he's a white man. It's clearly about racism. It's clearly about being able to say the N-word. It's clearly about being able to harass people. They jump right to that. And yet God is the person who is oppressed. And again, please note, neither myself nor Elon Musk, and I don't even think you can, I don't want to speak for you, but none of us are advocating for unfettered free speech. We are saying that disagreement, sharing different information even, even if it's wrong, does not mean that it's hate speech. It does not mean you're, you know, worth completely removing from the platform. Like, especially, this is why it's an ideological battle again. Donald Trump, sitting president of the United States, removed from Twitter, Chinese Communist Party, leader of Iran, Vladimir Putin, all allowed on there. Um, the uh, Hamas allowed on Twitter, openly calls for the complete genocide of all Israelis. Literally calls for it. Donald Trump removed for literally tweeting that they should peacefully assemble. If you actually look at what he tweeted, if you actually listen to the speech, he did not call for the violent riots and storming of the Capitol. He called for peaceful assembly. Removed. We are not ideologically consistent when that's the case, which means that Vijaya is, along with the other Twitter execs, politically motivated and selectively downgrading or censoring content that they think is dangerous misinformation or disinformation. It's a double standard. Well, really quickly, um, I just confirmed Elon Musk is an American citizen as of Perfect. 2002. So he is, a, okay. he is a, by definition, African-American. So Perfect. we were right. We were right <laughs> in the first presumption that he was a, an African-American. Um, but yeah, it's definitely even evolved. I mean, the disinformation information, I mean, that kind of leads into our last story for tonight and kind yeah. of ties into the situation with Elon Musk because you could make the argument this is completely motivated by what happened with Elon Musk. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Anyone who denies it, you can say they live under a rock. So, um, but Or a hole, as I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there isn't a confirmed report why they're bringing this into light, so that's why I say that. But it'll never um, be confirmed that way. Yeah, yeah, this is purely circumstantial, I would say, and just kind of you know connecting <laughs> the dots. Circumstantial. This isn't the first time though. The disinformation task force—that's what the story is about. Um, <laughs> Harry Potter and the disinformation task force. <laughs> the Ministry of Truth. I think that's what I'm seeing on Twitter right now. Is the Ministry of Truth. Um, which uh, that, gets, that even sounds more like a Harry Potter book. <laughs> Harry yes. Potter and the Ministry of Truth. Yes, and personally, I am a Harry Potter fan, so it definitely rings well. So if you if you're a Harry Potter fan and you understand that term, Ministry of Truth, then you pretty much understand what's going on with the story. But um, this isn't <laughs> the first time they floated around. This is not something that just brought up out of the result of Elon Musk. I will say this is something they floated around before Elon Musk purchased. It actually started last year with a letter from the yep. coalition task force to set this up. Then Biden gave the green light pretty much three days after the official purchase of Elon Musk. I think as of tonight, quick update, I think as of tonight, Elon officially owns all of Twitter. So I think that's official as of tonight. Um, I, I saw that right before we started the show. So I forgot to bring oh, that up as well. Look at that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> quick, quick update. But uh, so let me, I'll just go ahead and read the letter from the 
coalition from last year. Um, this is like after the first 100 days, basically. So this is like, I found this on Axios.com. So if you want to look, read this up yourself, go ahead. But it says here, uh, dear Mr. Dear President Biden, congratulations on your election and your administration's impressive first 100 days. We are writing as a coalition of human rights, free speech, democracy, and technology organizations to urge the creation of a federal integrity. Integ- oh my gosh. Interagency. Did I say that right? Gosh, I probably. I definitely butchered that. Whatever. You get the idea. Uh, <laughs> disinformation Defense and Free Expression Task Force with Domestic Policy Leadership. As we think about the next four years, we are keenly aware of the challenge the rampant spread of disinformation poses to our nation. The prevalence of deceptions, propaganda, ironic, and <laughs> conspiracy theories related to the 2020 election, COVID-19, and the recent Capitol insurrection – illustrates the clear and present threat that disinformation poses to our democracy and national security. However, we are equally mindful that solutions adopted in moments of crisis can themselves pose significant dangers to our fundamental freedoms. As Justice Berendis, I hope I pronounced that right, as Justice Berendis once wrote, fear breeds repression and courage is the secret to liberty. Urgent action is needed to ensure that our democracy does not continue to be overrun by disinformation to be a domestic or foreign in origin. Sound public health policy, free and fair elections, and an effective dem- democratic deliberation all dependent upon the getting disinformation under control. The best, But the best tools we have for fighting, dis- fighting disinformation can pose their own dangers. In the quest to defeat disinformation, we risk enabling censorship, exacerbating existing inequities, and inadvertently curtailing democratic discourse. American democracy thrives on inclusive and sometimes continuous debate. It requires the protection of free expression and imagination and thought. We must find a way forward that tames the scores of disinformation while evaluating or elevating constructive dialogue and making space for robust disagreement and public debate. As a coalition, we represent organizations committing to balancing and defending the values, free expression, racial justice, privacy, freedom, and freedom of expression in the fight for our democracy. We believe that this is crucial, diverse, interdisciplinary voices to be at the table as policies are Develop to combat disinformation and foster a functional and vibrant information ecosystem. And later goes on, talks about the initiatives to be blunt impact, how the disinformation impacts the minority communities, the black, Latino, indigenous folks, as well as the rural and immigrant communities that are deliberately disproportionately targeted by disinformation, as well as, quote, as well as veterans vulnerable to disinformation campaigns. So I'm vulnerable to disinformation, Ryan. You're vulnerable on a lot of fronts there with your intersectional identities there, Ken. Yes, I am screwed. So my question then is, is it the outcome that harms them or are they saying these people are too stupid to distinguish between truth and disinformation? That's my question because I could see from the phrasing it going either way. One is racist. One implies that we're too stupid to figure out what's true, what's not true. Um, all that said, we are here now where the Biden administration has set up the disinformation task force that was already floating around last year. Uh, Nina Jankowitz? I think it's just Jankowitz. Jankowitz? Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, head the Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board as Executive Director, Political Playbook 
reported Wednesday morning per DailyMail.uk. Homeland Security Security Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas did not disclose did not disclose any powers that would be granted to the dystopian sounding board while addressing lawmakers on Wednesday. <laughs> he explained that the board would work to tackle disinformation ahead of the November midterms. Uh oh. Uh, particularly, of course, particularly in Hispanic communities. So that's kind of where I want to stop the synopsis. Anyways, uh, my initial reaction, this is clearly not just about disinformation. This isn't about protecting democracy because clearly they have their own idea of democracy is not really a democracy, which our idea of democracy is our republic, obviously representative democracy. Nah, this is about, they made it clear with the statement that they're, clearly focused on the midterms. Once again, it goes back to the midterms. And it's an area, and they also mentioned an area where Democrats are struggling in, and that is the, guess, you guessed it, the Hispanic group. Me! Uh, <laughs> I saw a poll, actually, from the Quinnipiac poll, I think it was, where only 26 of Hispanics approve of what Biden and Democrats are doing right now. 26%. That means the other 74% me that's in that category, we do not like what they're doing right now. So they're clearly losing. As a matter of fact, I think Bill Maher even made a point that you know they're screwing up when Latinos in California are – the approval rating and disapproval rating, the disapproval rating is higher than the approval rating at this point with the Hispanic community in California or as I call it, California. All right? Uh, <laughs> So let's be frank, Ryan. How many people genuinely approve of Joe Joe Biden has done at this point? Let's just be frank. There's a shift that Hispanics are going to the GOP, especially in Florida. That said, they are delusional. They are delusional. If they think that is what's causing Hispanics or any of the groups they mention causing to lament the Democrat Party, it's their policies. They're too thick. They're too thick skulled. Their skulls are too thick. Excuse me. Their skulls are too thick to see that. Or they're too arrogant to see that. Hispanics don't like politicians openly talking about communism and socialism. Especially if you come from a country like Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, which that's where a lot of these immigrants uh, come from. Especially in Florida, we get mainly the Venezuelans and Cubans here. Like, they, they don't like that. They don't like politicians openly embrace socialism. And they can smell it from a mile away. Even if you, like, show any subtle hints that you're a socialist, they're going to turn the other way. And we don't like stupid terms like Latinx. Latinx, that woke bullshit. No one likes that. No Latino likes that. That is 100% a rich elite thing. And I say rich elite because you have white, rich white liberals. You have rich black liberals. You have rich Hispanic liberals. They're the ones that are going to promote that term. Latinx, we should start saying that. It's more inclusive. Ha, ha, ha. Look at us. We're the elite. Listen to us. We're... We know we're the high-class society here. Uh, we like free speech here in America. And a lot of them actually support a tight hold on the southern border, which obviously we know that's a crisis as well. With It's basically an invasion. I know a source like Forbes or Scopes or probably ch fat check me and say, no, it's not an invasion. Yes, there's a major problem, but it's not an invasion. Come on, Ken. Um, but anyways, that's why people are going and going away from the Democrat Party. So, go ahead with your disinformation task force. It is completely unconstitutional and will be struck out in the courts somewhere. I'm not sure where, but it'll definitely, it gets to the Supreme Court. It's definitely not going to go past the Supreme Court. 
But it's getting really interesting because this is the Democrats playing damage control, not only for the from the Hispanics, but also losing one of their biggest puppets in big tech in Twitter. Now there's an entrepreneur that believes in free speech is not part of the status quo. Well, at least directly, as far as we know, there's some questionable things as far as the whole transhumanism, like implanting a chip in your brain. That that's a whole other episode I can make about. But for the as far as as far as free speech, he def it's a he's a capitalist at the very end. At the very least, he's a capitalist, and as a capitalist, he recognizes the beauty of free speech, the beauty of people having the freedom to express themselves. Um, and so he's not going he's not going to censor a story, say Hunter Biden's laptop, which is no longer a conspiracy theory, by the way. Uh, now they know that Twitter. Now that they lost that puppet, they know a story like Twitter's uh, Hunter Biden laptop story, for example. That won't, they are concerned they won't be able to control that anymore. They won't be able to suppress that information. And quickly, before handing the torch back to you, but their idea of democracy is socialism and communism. They're Marxists. Uh, democracy has become a euphemism term by the Democrats. This is about protecting their status as the ones in charge from the narrative to the votes. It's all about power. That's all it is. The American people are not as stupid as they think we are, but according to them, at least the language implies and insinuates, I'm stupid. I'm too stupid as a Hispanic or a vet to figure out what's true or what's not true. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Well, let's back up to what your article said. They use the term disinformation a lot, and they conflate misinformation and disinformation in a lot of times, both like how they operationalize what gets censored, and also in the way that they talk about things. So here's an important definition for your audience and my audience. Disinformation is going to be false information, which is intended to mislead. And like, it's usually like propaganda. So think like if Russia or like Iran in the last election, like they are putting out information like counterintelligence type things. So false information, usually it's, it's at a higher governmental level. That's disinformation. Misinformation on the other hand, or misleading information. So there's a big difference between the two. One is like propaganda deliberately used. The other one is just, it could be something as simple as like, this is wrong information. Now, I don't trust, and, and the operation is the big issue for me. I have lots of issues with this, but the operation is the big one. Nina Jankowitz was one of the leading people suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story by the New York Post because she said it was Russian disinformation. If you can't tell that that wasn't disinformation and you use a politically motivated decision to suppress something that's quote-unquote disinformation, I don't trust you to be able to be the arbiter of truth here on what is disinformation and what is not. Like, I do, do you see the problem that I have there, Ken? Is that literally <laughs> Biden is appointing the person who... It's it's literally I, I don't really know a less crude way other than a circle jerk to describe the way <laughs> that this is going on. She suppresses information that would have really hurt Biden's campaign. He turns around and he appoints her as the arbiter of truth for the disinformation task force. I'm not saying that this led to a job, but I am saying that the the Democrats are so self-absorbed and so embedded in the leadership of 
big tech like Twitter and Facebook that they preemptively, without fact-checking or looking into this, just decided, nah, this is Russian disinformation. And now they're going to turn around and tell us that they get to decide what's disinformation? Pass. Hard pass on my my part here. And it should be a hard pass on yours. Now let's talk about the fact that this is a, a, a severe violation of the First Amendment. And everyone's going to come at me and be like, oh, Ryan, the First Amendment only prevents Congress from interfering. Here's the game the left's been playing. They threaten big tech and corporations to do their bidding. We talk about how, like, everyone's pointing out, like, Ron DeSantis is, like, going after Disney. The left went after Disney and threatened to do things to them if they didn't comply. You, you literally had sitting senators who are Democrats telling big tech, Facebook, so Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter, Jack Dorsey, um, that basically if you can't rein in the more, the, the disinformation and like the more extreme on the right, then we'll do it for you. Basically threatening that we will bring the power of the government against your company if you can't get a handle on this. So they threaten and cudgel corporations and big tech to do their bidding and so then they play the game oh private company it's not actually the government so they play this shell game where they they do what they want as the representatives in congress and they threaten larger companies and larger companies know how this game is played and because they're not receiving prior to ron DeSantis much pushback from the right they've they have not had until ron DeSantis. Mutually assured destruction. If you get involved in politics, period, you 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 lose lose. You either piss off the right or you piss off the left. It's it has been for a very long time, and I won't go into it tonight. But we should do a segment at some point where I I go over the ways that they have operationalized federal agencies to go after people. For example, Barack Obama operationalized the IRS, a federal institution that he appoints, at least the leaders. To go after <laughs> conservatives exempt uh, institutions that were more conservative based, their exemption status when it comes to like donations and other things. So like literally causing the IRS to freeze approval of things come election time like th this in a very short terms. This is how the left has been operationalizing things against corporations. So you cannot tell me that it's in a vacuum free speech only protects you from the government. These things need to take place. Elon Musk needs to clean house. Ron DeSantis needs to bring the pain to corporations who want to cudgel people into submission. And, and I, I don't necessarily agree with that course of action, but right now, the way the game is being played, it cuts all one direction. You have had people on the left sitting senators, sitting congressmen and women who have threatened if Facebook and Twitter and other corporations like Google, Coca-Cola, et cetera, MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, for those who don't know, uh, if, they don't, <laughs> if they don't do what we want and say what we want, institute the training we want, et cetera, then we're going to make sure that you feel the pain through the laws that we pass. So now you you don't get to turn around and tell me that it's about a private company, especially when now you say that it's literally privately owned and probably going to be taken private, that Elon Musk is all about hate speech. Like, you you don't get to have it both ways. 
The left wants Section 230 to protect Facebook and Twitter from liability. That was the purpose of Section 230, was to basically say if you are a platform and truly neutral, you can't be held responsible for something stupid Ryan says or Ken says or somebody else says. Um, if, if I, on my YouTube channel, have someone post a racist comment, I should not be held liable for that because it is not on behalf of my my quote unquote company, right? It just happened on my YouTube platform. So I would be protected from liability. But the Democrats now are threatening to remove Section 230 if Facebook doesn't do what they want. Now, Republicans have talked about removing Section 230, so this does cut both ways, but they've threatened to do it because Facebook and Twitter have been going after conservative content, and they've been downgrading traffic. And there are conservative institutions that can demonstrate that they were very popular and then they got downgraded in the traffic. They weren't pushed out as much because of the algorithms that Facebook and Twitter were doing when they were threatened by Congress. So it's a very one, two, three, we can draw that connection. This is important to understand because I am not in favor of government overreach. I am not in favor of government intervention. I am not in favor of these passing these laws when it's in a vacuum. But now that we see no action is within a vacuum, nothing happens without a reaction, chain reaction. So yeah, I'm going to be in favor of this, especially when the government is saying, we're going to launch an unconstitutional disinformation task force. Let me, let's go back to the good old constitution. Dust it <laughs> off. Uh, Congress, First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This literally says you get to question your government on all platforms. This was not just talking about back in the old days, like, you know, where they had a town square and they had a physical newspaper. Like, the spirit of this law is where the cornerstone or the central hub of free speech takes place. That is protected. I get to dissent against my government, even if my information is false. Quite frankly, even if I'm spreading disinformation. Let's go back to what I said about positive and negative rights. This is a negative right meaning the government is prevented from infringing directly or by cudgeling institutions to do it for them. Elon Musk, this is why I support him for now until he gives me a reason not to. He supports free speech as an absolute, not meaning you get to assault people, not meaning you get to harass people, but you get the right to dissent. You, The government under no circumstances gets to take that away, directly or indirectly. They cannot pass a law. They also can't do a task force. Like, let's let's think about this logically. If you can't pass a law, why the hell do you get to come up with a task force that would, in theory, if they, I'm assuming, they haven't said exactly what they want to do, but you don't assemble a task force without really, they'll, they'll, okay, here's my prediction. That task force will be used to try to say that Elon Musk is in violation of something or let's say that they want to shut down service to Twitter because it is allowing for X violation of disinformation or hate speech. They would remove, and Democrats will push very hard now, to remove Section 230 protections from Twitter, meaning they'll try to make Elon Musk responsible for any stupid thing that gets said, whether it be like, racist, sexist, like truly racist, sexist, homophobic, like actually hateful speech, right? Like, let's say, let, let's entertain that for a moment. It actually is hateful. If 
I could see them removing that. I, I, I mean, but even you, then, like hate speech is not uh, hate speech is not illegal either. It's not not in the U.S. Not under the First Amendment. But let's say Elon Musk still put those in place, or let's say he allowed that to exist. Democrats will go after, and they will try to say unconstitutionally that they they don't address the main concern of this is a first amendment violation they address the what's the good of society what is the equity we can produce that is always the democratic appeal to emotion right now how can i stop my feelings from being hurt it, it hurts my feelings i don't care the free the first amendment protects free speech that does not excuse someone from assaulting you going after you like truly harassing there's there's laws for that but you as the government don't get to come in and regulate that through the ministry of magic or anything else like you do not get <laughs> that was deliberate uh you do not get to infringe on someone's free speech because you can justify the end goal that that is my main point here the government does not get to blackmail companies to do their bidding they do not get to write laws that that threaten i mean it's literally blackmail we, it, it, they're not saying, you know what, free speech under Section 230, like we need to hold these people accountable. It's a conditional thing. Like, where are the senators being on trial for literally, I mean, arguably, they, they've, I, I think a case could be made that these people have almost a, a, a passive threat or bribery could be at stake here for them. When you're saying, if then, if you don't do this, then we will do this instead of here's the I mean, one of the, one of the Congress members called for violence if the Derek Chauvin child did not go their way. Maxine if he wasn't Waters, convicted. Maxine yeah, Waters Maxine literally Waters. called for insurrection, actual violent uprising, unless they got the verdict they wanted. Sitting member of Congress called for that. Where's her trial? Like oh, this, instead, this, people this, like Marjorie Taylor Greene gets put on trial for challenging the election results. Ah! This is a huge problem. It is a double standard. Although without the double standards, the left would not have any at all right now, the way that they're going. Like that's just the unfortunate truth of the matter. Yeah. And I guess there is a silver lining to all of this. This, if anything, they're they're basically doing the quiet part out loud yes. at this point. And like, it's sloppy. Yeah, it's very sloppy because they're so sloppy about it. It makes it very easy for people to pick up on what's going on through the naked eye, at least the sane individual. Which, right? is, which is good, but it's the also terrifying lining. that they are at a point where they think they can be so brazen. Um, so like and, – and here's the double standard that they have and that they're very open about like you were saying. They say this, free speech is not protected from a private company regulation, right? That was what they, they said. If you don't like it, get off Twitter. That was the left to conservatives. Now they say at the same time, it's the death of democracy when our speech is regulated or when speech isn't regulated, right? Like th that they, they need no pushback. And when there's pushback, it's the death of democracy because X person has power because of of their race, sex, gender, whatever. And it's not to say that more people don't, that there are not some people who hold more power than others. That still does not stop their free speech right. Like it is a negative right. The government does not have the right to encroach on that period, full stop, period. And people say, well, you know, you don't get to yell bomb in an airport or fire in a theater. That is actually not based on the First Amendment. That is the Supreme Court interpretation of those things, and that is where they weigh 
common good, and that's fine. And that that does become the interpretation of the law, therefore the law. But here's the bottom line. That doesn't contradict absolute free speech. Let me explain what I, I mean by that. You can still yell bomb in an airport. You just have consequences. And this is where you're going to be tackled and dragged out. You're going to not make your flight. I promise you that. You'll have lots of questions, probably have a strip search. Like there will be repercussions. If you yell fire in a theater, there is a legal consequence. If I harass someone, if I assault someone, which most people don't know this, but assault is not physical contact. It is a threat. If I assault someone, threaten them, there's a legal repercussion because along with the idea of free speech is responsibility. And conservatives right now are in favor of the balance between the two. You have the right to say these things. You also bear the responsibility. Sometimes it's a social responsibility. If I say something that's not socially popular, I might be unfollowed. I might have people lose respect for me. What you don't get under the absolute reign of free speech is to be censored. I'm not entitled to a platform. And if a company like Twitter actually wants to censor me, that's just the way that it's going to be. And I understand that. But if we're actually looking at what is the First Amendment, I still have the right to say those things. And when you today, it is I'm not allowed to say that on Twitter because the Ministry of Truth decides that that's dangerous. Tomorrow, I'm not allowed to physically say those things, period. The idea is that what you say is dangerous, so it must be stopped. They don't stop themselves from enforcing that just because they kick you off Twitter. If they actually got what they wanted, if they truly believe what you're saying is dangerous, it won't matter whether you're saying it in person or whether you're saying it through Twitter, what that medium of communication is. What matters is that they stop it. That is where you get authoritarianism. That is where you get dystopia because the idea of what they're saying here is your ideas are dangerous. They must be stopped. Don't let them play this shell game of, oh, well, you know, in this instance, you're making people uncomfortable, so we're booting you off Twitter. No, no, no. If they take it <laughs> to the fullest extent that they possibly could, and they could get away with it, I truly believe these people would go so far as to throw dissenters in prison, like we see in communist regimes, like we see in authoritarian regimes. doesn't have to be communist. That's the well, end goal. That, that is the ultimate Pokemon evolution. Boom. Brought it back around. Ultimate Pokemon <laughs> evolution of the suppression of free speech. That the, the oppression and suppression of dissent. That is what that is. I was literally just thinking that in my head. This is like another Pokemon evolution of cancel culture. <laughs> um, it started with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and now we actually have the government full out saying, uh, having their own Ministry of Truth, which... Uh, this isn't the first time. I will say this. This is not the first time that we have people in power in D.C. that wanted to suppress uh, or censor people. Uh, remember the Red Scare, Ryan? That whole shebang? <laughs> yeah, um, and in that case, it was Republicans trying to suppress the, the speech. Was, yes, because they are concerned about communism. Yeah, they are concerned about communism, or at least uh, they were Republicans – by today's standards, who knows what they're they'd be considered. Definitely by today's standards. <laughs> Definitely yeah. by today's – okay, maybe by today's – by today's standards, they'd be considered leftists, all right? <laughs> and like um, that, that's, that's what's really important is that the minority perspective was in favor – at that time, the left and the, the communists were in favor of their free speech, obviously. 
And now they're not. Now now they're the ones. Now that they've gained enough power, I won't even say popularity because they're still the minority opinion. There's a reason Bernie Sanders didn't make it. Oh, that kind of gets into some more conspiracy as far as the DNC screwed over. Uh, that's not Bernie even conspiracy. Sanders. That's legit. That <laughs> happened, dude. I'm just speaking for, on behalf of Bernie supporters. I don't really know. I don't follow the DNC <laughs> politics or anything like that. I'm just stating. I'm just speaking on their behalf. Like they're going to raise ruckus about what you just said. Um, but yeah, so it's not the first time the American system has done something like this, and we have survived this before. We have. Um, but another key difference to point out is that at that time they're more subtle about what they were doing as far as trying to censor people. Like they're undercover sense. It was basically undercover censorship. Like the public, I would have not known what was going on behind closed doors up in Capitol Hill. As you mentioned earlier, right now they're being brazen about censorship and that's the Pokemon evolution of cancel culture. And that can lead to, we can evolve from uh, just, having people deplatformed for saying something that was hurtful or hateful according to their uh, perspective to throwing someone in jail. And that's part of the issue with this disinformation task force is that the rules are so broad to anything can be considered disinformation. Anything can be, can be considered hateful. And uh, all of that said, every time and JP Sears has brought this up every time a power has tried to censor a voice, it's never worked out in their favor in the long run. So that's why I say I think in the long run we'll survive this question mark. Cautiously <laughs> optimistic. Well if not um, you might get your revolution you wanted. So I feel like it's a win win for you. <laughs> yeah I, I hold up. I didn't say I wanted that. I just say I'm in favor of it. There's a difference between I'm just being a realist. That's called semantics. That, that, I'm being a realist, all right? <laughs> I, I'm being a realist, all right? Um, but I will just say this, that, uh, yes, this is very – at this point, they're not even trying to hide this behind the shadows of big tech at this point. They are straight up saying we are big government, big brother, and we're here to tell you what you can and can't say at this point on the internet. For now, it's the internet. That's their main concern is on the internet. But as you said, it'll eventually evolve into, oh, you can't physically say these things. And if you say these things, they'll probably start off with a fine. Oh, a fine is not a big deal. You're only, I mean, how much money? You, you can afford it, right? You can afford a Tesla. Everyone can afford a Tesla. You can afford a fine if you say something that we deem to be inappropriate, ideologically speaking. But then it will evolve into, as you said, being people being thrown in jail. And that's the issue. And I kind of alluded to this. In my last episode, when I actually talked about the Hunger Games and the social implications and the political implications in that story, is that as the government increases their size, they lose – there's less people to hold them accountable. And do you honestly think the government officials are going to hold themselves accountable or give up powers? There's a reason we have no. politics. There's a reason why Nancy <laughs> Pelosi – has been in Congress for a hundred years at this point. There's a reason they like that power. Power is in it's in human nature. It's in our flesh to desire and seek power uh, because of that. That's just in our nature. So, if they have as the government size increases, the level of imagination will eventually manifest itself into something malevolent to that point of 
it's not enough anymore to just deplatform someone off the internet because they said something based on what Big Brother says. So I don't know. It's one of those situations where I look at the situation with our federal government and I think about the lessons from the Hunger Games where, I mean, the whole premise of the Hunger Games was the capital had nobody they were answering to. And that's what led to the atrocities that was occurring at the time at, in that fictional world. And that's why having a free press and a platform like Twitter is so vital to kind of pivot back to Elon Musk and his situation a little bit. And the reasoning why they went ahead and gave the green light for this disinformation task force is so they can go ahead and pretty much get rid of any sense of accountability and increase that power and decrease the level of responsibility, the the voices of dissent, if you will. Then, as I mentioned, that will eventually manifest, manifest itself into something malevolent in the long run. Well, I think to add to that, Ken, uh, President Snow in that series tells <laughs> us that the reason they do the Hunger Games is to remind the districts of what they had done and also how benevolent he is as a leader by extension, right? Because he's not crushing all of them continuously. He's allowing them to offer up a tribute Unfortunately, I feel like we're seeing that mirrored in our government as it becomes more dystopian because they're basically saying, ah, free speech is not a negative right that you possess and we are told that we cannot encroach upon. We give that to you. Government gives you the right to keep and bear arms. Government gives you the, the capital. Right to free speech. Exactly. The capital. You see the parallels here. So anyway, I, I really think that you're spot on with that analogy. Again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we're going to immediately have our government executing people or imprisoning them for dissent. <laughs> I'm saying that the final Pokemon evolution, the ultimate capital suppression of the districts that we would see is when the government is using its branches, its task forces, its three-letter Entities, FBI, CIA, etc., to do the bidding of the elites, the people in power, the congressional members, or in many instances, the president, to overstep the constitutional freedoms that we have. If we don't call them out on this, this goes back to what you were saying earlier, Ken. They gradually continue to encroach. When they take a toehold, they will then take a mile. It is not a far stretch. It is not a fallacy for me to say that that is the ultimate evolution because that's what they want eventually. They might not want it right now. They might say they don't want it right now. But when they are in favor of, they can convince you, well, this harms this group, steps on equity, etc. Then they get these people on board one step at a time to where you now have a whole host of not just capital elites, but people who just weren't in the districts watching the death and demise of these children as they compete as tribute because we have a benevolent government who allows us to exist and allows us to have these rights. I'll go ahead and add on to that real quickly is that I mentioned this in my last episode, the hot seat edition where I talked about the political implications of hunger games. Like you said, like I never, and I don't state now, I'm not stating now that's we're heading into a scenario like the hunger games where we're having to sacrifice or having to, you know, give up our children, one female, one male, t- between the ages of 12 and 18. Like, that's the future. Like, we're going to have these barbaric games. But the seeds, the 
foundation, the paradigm, the viewpoint that's associated that got a fictional or like the Hunger Games to that point, these are the kinds of seeds that are being implanted that leads to that kind of stoping that you're talking about, Ryan. Absolutely. I I really think that people underestimate what their government is willing to do and how depraved it is. I mean, just look at our history. You know, Josh points to select things that help his policies. So, for example, he points to Jim <laughs> Crow era America and the atrocities undeniably. So that were committed at that time, but then tries to draw the parallel to this is the way that America is today. And that's where he and I disagree. And that's where these discussions come in. But also, we, we, we then somehow simultaneously overstepped the fact that you had like, you know, FDR overstepping the constitutional rights of Japanese Americans, placing them in internment camps for the quote unquote security of the nation in a time of war. Like, if you go throughout our history, we see parallels of things. It's a problem if people are only pointing out and acknowledging these historical facts and things our government has done because it benefits them politically. Like Biden is willing to talk about Jim Crow era things that he literally helped enforce through some of the racist things he's done and said. <laughs> the racist, literal Ku Klux Klan members he's affiliated himself with over the years, spoken at their funerals. But he's not—he's not willing to even look at the fact that a, a, a dystopian truth committee is an overstep of the First Amendment. Like that, it, it's it, there's something very politically driven by what they choose to turn a blind eye to, whether it be on Twitter or whether it be in the government. I think that's really the theme of today's episode, Ryan. I think you and I—we actually broke the record. We broke anchor anyway. At least, Woo-woo! yeah. <laughs> We broke the record finally. Um, we went for four hours. So yeah, Woo! <laughs> hey, that was a good conversation, right? Do you have any final thoughts you want to go ahead and discuss or lay it out there for the audience? And go ahead and give your plugs as well. All right. So I'll start with laying out my final thoughts, then I'll give my plugs. Final thoughts, big takeaways. If you have to skip to the end and hear these things. <laughs> which we've said great things, so don't do that. But if you did and, and you listened to nothing but this, this is what I would tell you. Go read the wording of the amendments and know your rights. Because looking at a secondary source, there's a reason as an academic, we don't accept those as citations. You can't cite a media site selecting parts of the trial or selecting parts of the constitution and assume that that's true because you should never assume they or the government or anyone just has your best interest at heart. Even, even if they do, never assume that. Know what your constitutional rights are. Negative rights means that it is an absolute freedom. First Amendment, Second Amendment are two negative rights. The government is not allowed to encroach on those, period without a constitutional amendment. So we need to hold our government accountable when they are in violation of the Constitution. Fortunately, right now, the Supreme Court ideologically, because it leans to, it should not be partisan, but because it leans to the right as far as the appointees, they've been appointed primarily by Republican slash conservative presidents, they tend to lean for the most part, and they don't always do this, but for the most part, they go with the textual advocacy of the Constitution, meaning members' intent, not what do we think the end goal should be. So 
if they do their job, like Ken mentioned earlier, they should be checking even when, even if president office and the Congress happens to be in violation of the constitution. So that, that gives me hope, but we'll see where it goes. It does trouble me at the same time that we are having, you know, <laughs> there, there was a meme that said uh, ministry of truth in a dystopian society was not on my dystopian bingo card. And I was like, you know, <laughs> that would be funny if it wasn't so true. Like it is so sad that that's where we're at. But anyway, uh, do not support the stripping away of rights, whether it be Marjorie Taylor Greene running for office, whether it be someone being struck off Twitter, regardless of what you think about them as a person, whether or not you agree with them ideologically. Do not allow the government to fuel your disagreement or even even I'll give you hatred for this person to allow the government to let you be passive or even active in their censorship. Do not participate in that. Hold your government accountable instead. They should be afraid of us, not the other way around. I'll leave it at that. So uh, check out, if you don't want to just hear Ryan unchecked, unhinged, depending on what you think of me, check out <laughs> Between the Liars. We live stream every Saturday at noon central. Podcasts, usually pretty good about releasing them on those platforms, audio-only version. Mondays, usually in the morning. But that premise is somewhere between all of these liars in Congress, all of these opinions is the truth, and that truth comes through discourse. So if you want to hear everything that I mentioned today as far as values, free speech, we try to live that out on our podcast. So if you want two people who lean to the left versus two people who lean to the right, and we we alternate quite a few through our guests. Ken's been on the show. We just picked up a new host. Come check us out and get alternative perspectives. I encourage you, fact-checked me like Ken did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look into these concepts for yourself. Come listen to the other side. That that's so. Follow us at Between the Liars. We are on Instagram, courtesy of Ken inspiring me. We are on TikTok. We are on Twitter. We are we have a Facebook. We stream through our YouTube. We also stream through our Twitch. We stream through our Facebook page. So at Between the Liars on pretty much all of those. Check it out. Would love to hear from you. If you message any of our social accounts, chances are. Um, I'll be the one replying to you. I would love to converse with you. So hit me up. I guess my final thoughts, Ryan, is that the reason why people are not susceptible or they have a hard time grasping the deprived imagination can manifest into that malevolence is because we live in a society that is predominantly agnostic at this point, spiritually speaking. And I venture to say in a healthy society, there is this at least genuine, or not genuine, but general consensus that there's a higher power that holds people accountable on a universal standard and that humanity is prone to uh, extreme measures of depravity and corruption. And therefore, when I say that, uh, don't be surprised. Never, don't ever under, never underestimate, excuse me, never underestimate the imagination of political leaders when they have no one accountable and you should always, always question when the government tries to increase their size. And if anything, start pushing back and actually force them to decrease in size. Uh, so whether it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, whether it's the food plants being burned across, the, being across the country, whether it's the disinformation task force, all the stories we talked about today, you cannot underestimate just how far and how deep the corruption can go, you cannot underestimate that. That's 
the only thing I can emphasize, and if anything, take what we say with a grain of salt. Some of the stuff we mentioned, some of the analogies we made tonight, this is just a metaphor. We don't know if some of this stuff. We hope, as a matter of fact, I can speak for Ryan. We hope some of our predictions are wrong. And we hope that some of our concerns turn out to be a farce and, you know, 10 years down the road, we'll be laughing about this. But it's happening right now, and we need to focus on what's happening right now. So, with that said, Ryan, thanks again for tuning in. Not tuning in. Thanks for joining in the conversation today. Um, My pleasure. Always more than welcome to come back on the show, and you'll definitely be coming back later this month anyway. I'll try to get you on for another weekly review edition as well. So, uh, with that said, folks, I'll be back, but y'all stay tuned for me. So you can say goodbye to Ryan. Until then, stay tuned. All right. That was the longest episode ever of Between the Liars or Taboo Topic, actually, is what Ken was telling me. So I think we even broke Anchor, which we record through, because it kicked us off near the <laughs> near the end there. So we had to scramble and reconnect to wrap up with our final thoughts new new for me but uh listen if you stuck this whole thing out congratulations and thank you uh you're you're definitely a true fan so we want to celebrate you uh what i'd like for you to do is to dm one of our social media accounts and we're going to send you one of our much coveted and exclusive stickers uh, these are the things that you know we we design and print through redbubble I'm going to mail you that. You're going to get a hand-signed letter from me. Uh, I just I want to appreciate you for being uh, a dedicated fan, a follower. We really appreciate those. So hit us up, please. Uh, I'd, I'd love to to send you one of those. So please, uh, please, please definitely follow through. We love love hearing our fans. So this this was a really good, really long conversation, and uh, looking forward to the next one with Ken. We'll have him on in the future. Um, Go check out his other content. He's He's got a lot of great content. You can agree. You can disagree with him. Say what you will. Uh, he runs a really, really good show. Um, so interesting interesting to have him and I disagree. I really, I was telling him beforehand, I'm looking forward to that nuance because he was like, oh, right. Like, I think we're going to, I think we're going to disagree on, on the debt at least. Those are my favorites. So definitely go and, uh, and listen to other things, get a feel for what he believes, get a feel for what the people on our show believe. We've got some new exciting guests coming up, and I'm I'm really excited. Coming this Saturday, depending on when this airs, the 30th, we're going to have AK from the Black Republican, Black Democrat podcast joining us. So stay tuned for that. Remember, you can find Between the Liars on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. And more now. I've added more of those platforms pretty much anywhere. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated. DM us, get that sticker. And if you enjoy this show, give us a five star review. Share us with your friends. Help us beat that algorithm. We appreciate you. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now. <laughs>